0: Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So the Utah Jazz do it again. They beat the Boston Celtics. Brace yourselves for some outrageous numbers. The Jazz have won five in a row. They've won 16 out of 17. They have a 20-5 record, which matches the best 25-game start in franchise history. The 1997 team did it on the way to their uh, first NBA Finals. The Jazz look really good. And they beat the Celtics, and, you know, both teams were down a guy, so that, that's kind of a wash. You shouldn't have your whole team at this point anyway. Donovan Mitchell, 36 points, 9 assists. Uh, <laughs> it's just outrageous, man. They took the Celtics apart. Their, Jazz were up by one at the half, had a really good third quarter. Celtics could not stop them. No matter what the Jazz did, the ball was going in the hoop. If they had to shoot threes, they made them. If they had to attack inside, they made them. Uh, as Joe Ingles will talk about in the post game, every time they looked up, like at least two, maybe three of the four quarters, they're in the bonus early and they're hitting free throws. Everything worked. The Jazz had a 42 point quarter. I scored Boston 42 32. It was 90 to 79 going to the fourth quarter, and the Jazz pushed the lead up. They're up 13, maybe got higher than that. And Boston made a run because that's what happens in the NBA if you're a good team and you're battling. Even if you don't win, you ought to make a run, and Boston did, and they got it down to a four point game at 99 95, and there's about seven minutes to go. And if you were a Jazz fan, you were white knuckling, I can't blame you. But they answered the bell, traded some moves for a while, and then around the three or four minute mark, started to make a run of their own and pulled away and won 122 to 108. And the key plays down the stretch. Donovan got the ball in transition, and he pushed it. And he, he went down the right side of the lane, and he took two defenders with him, and they just were not going to let him hit his Euro step-through acrobatic move. But he drove those two guys pretty deep in the paint, stopped on a dime, pivoted 180 degrees. Joe Engel was, was trailing, and there was nobody else on that side of the floor. He shoveled the, floor, he shoveled the ball to Joe. Joe hit a three, and 3,902 people, minus a few Celtic fans, erupted. You know, it just felt like, oh, that's the hoop. That's the hoop the Jazz needed. It put him up seven. And after that, Donovan hit two big threes. One of them was really deep. One he had a defender falling down, and he stopped on a dime and scored. He may have stepped on the guy's shoe, so that may have been what happened there. But whatever. It looked good on tape, regardless of the details. And uh, the Jazz win, 122-108. They turn the Celtics back. So... The win streak continues. The Jazz looked great. Shaq had to come on the post-game show and say, You're welcome, Utah. I challenged him, and he stepped up. Actually, his numbers were remarkably similar in the two TNT games. I guess the one difference is that now with Conley out, they really need it from him. You know, P.K. and I were talking about this yesterday. He's going to have a big game. And we both said yes. And if I had said no or I don't know, P.K. would have ripped my head off. Man, I would have I I lost that argument. I would have had all, Jersey, all his jerseiness turned loose on me. But there, I think there's three things. One, he's a pretty good player, so he's usually going to have a pretty good stat line, right? That's what happens when you're one of the better players in the league. Uh, Two, Conley's out, so he knows he's got to be on. The margin for error, when you lose a key guy, the other guys have to be better. The margin for error, you know, isn't that good? He went for 36. Joe Ingles went for 24. No accident Conley was out. Joe said, i got to score more, right? I've got to pick up the load here. Gobert was very efficient, 18 points, made eight of his nine shots. There are times they throw lobs to him and he's not open. There are times that he is open and he doesn't catch it. Uh, there are times that he moves too slowly and brings the ball down and gets fouled. None of that's happened. He was very efficient. The, the times they threw the ball to him, he was open. He caught it, and he dunked in a hurry before he got fouled. He only shot three free throws in the game. He was 8-9 from the floor, 18 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, bogey hit some shots. He had 16 points. Clarkson had 13, and had the Jazz get the win. On a night they didn't shoot the three great, 37.5%. They still shot a lot of them, 48 threes there, 18 of 48. And if you look, where's the advantage for the Jazz in the box score? Well, you know, both teams took about the same amount of shots. The Jazz took 84, and the Celtics took 86. Uh, they shot pretty similar, um, pretty similar percentages, but the Jazz shot a lot more three pointers, and they picked up some points at the line. Free throws were pretty similar. Jazz were 24 of 27, Celtics were 19 of 23. Um, but the Celtics only took 29 three pointers, and the Jazz took 48 of them. So, Jazz get the win. And now they get a couple days off, which when you've been on a plane, you know, they've basically been playing or flying uh, for so many days now. And it is going to wear you down. Even though you're back home, you know, you, you still haven't had a lot of rest time. I think they probably did get their flight in on Sunday after the game. So, you know, they did have one Monday, at one, Monday one down day to get ready for this. And now they're going to have a couple days off here, Wednesday and Thursday, um, before they play again Friday. they got a back-to-back Friday and Saturday to look forward to. But right now they can bask in this start. Uh, They're winning 80% of their games. And when you're doing that, over the course of a full 82-game season, you win 66 games. (laughs) <laughs> 66, a 60 win team is an excellent team 66 that'll be a club record that's off the charts now maybe they can't sustain this 20 and 5 pace so uh, you know the schedule is going to get really interesting here they beat Boston they got the top two teams in the East still coming in here in the next week or so with Milwaukee and Philadelphia they also have Miami coming in who's not, it hasn't been going well this year they haven't had their guys they've been missing Butler they've been missing Drogic. they've missed some other guys at times too um but they, you know, they did go to the finals last year. So we'll see how healthy they are when they come through town. Uh, and then they got the three games with the L.A. teams coming up. So six of their, uh, counting the Boston games, six of the eight teams, it was three of the top four in the West and three games against top three teams in the West. So tough stretch here. As, as tough a stretch as you're going to get in the regular season. It's not the same as the playoffs because you're not playing the same team and adjusting to the other team's adjustments and all that. Uh, but in the regular season, it's the best look you're going to get. You got a lot of teams that not only should be in the playoffs, you got a lot of opponents here who should win playoff series and be in the second round of the playoffs. So if they roll through this, and the Celtics are kind of on the low end of that group. Um, you know, it's a 12 and 11 team, but that does make you fourth in the East, and they may win a playoff series. So Jazz get the win. All right, when we come back, a guy who works in Boston, his opinion on the team and where they sit, and then the best of the postgame show. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We had John Corrales on. Uh, he does the, uh, he's on the Lockdown Podcast Network, uh, does the Celtic podcast, Locked On Celtics. And uh, I don't want to play the whole interview for you. I just want to play a part of the interview here. Um, he gets asked here about, uh, you know, an out-of-town guy, but you cover the league pretty closely. What do you think of the Jazz? Where do they stack up? How good are they really? Here's his response.
2: I would still put the Lakers as the favorite because they've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. And that, that to me kind of trumps as far as on paper what the Jazz have by a little bit. But that's not to say that if it was a Western Conference Finals, Lakers-Jazz, like, yeah, Lakers would be favored, but that would be, in my opinion, a seven-game series. And it, it may depend on whether the Jazz could get home court and and have that seventh game in altitude you know, at home, and if, if fans are going to be in there, then that adds another element too. So, the, the Utah Jazz, for sure, I think are are in that list of contenders. They have to be taken seriously. Um, I, I think the change in style, where they've been shooting uh, so many threes and making so many threes. I looked at the numbers. The first year of Quinn Snyder's, uh, the first year of Quinn Snyder in Utah. They took 21.7 threes per game. They're now up to 42.1, so they've doubled the, the amount of threes. That's a significant stylistic change in in what the Jazz are doing. And because he's looking at his personnel and he's looking at what these, these, these guys can do well, and he says, hey, we're going we're gonna to start shooting these threes. You're shooting them efficiently. And you've got Mike Conley playing great basketball, meshing very well with Rudy Gobert. And I think Royce O'Neal is, is – one of the most important unheralded players in the league. I mean, he's doing so much. And I think Royce O'Neal allows the Jazz to win games when one of the other stars, like a Donovan Mitchell, isn't shooting well. If he's having an off night, a guy like Royce O'Neal comes in and does enough to help the team win. So they're very well constructed. They're very well coached. They're disciplined. They know who they are. Uh, Those are all factors uh, and obviously they've got the high-end talent. The, those are all factors that go into a championship team. So the Utah Jazz winning it all this year would not be surprising.
0: There's John Corrales. There's a guy sitting in Boston with no apparent tie to Utah, but uh, he thinks they're the real deal. You know, and if you're if you're sitting here now and you're looking at the NBA and you say the Lakers are the favorites, okay. That that's a legit argument to stake out. They're defending champs. They got the second best record in the league. They got LeBron, and when he's healthy, goes to the finals every year. So if you want to make them the favorites, I got no beef with you. You know that's that's a legit take. But then tell me where you stack the Jazz up. Who are the contenders? You better say Jazz. You know if you want to say Jazz, Clippers, and whoever comes out of the East. And that's how I see it. If you want to make Lakers a favorite, and the contenders are Jazz, Clippers, and whoever comes out of the East. I think you're spot on. You know, the Lakers pull it off. We've got a long way to go here. You um, got to see who's healthy and and see if there are any, you know, trades or if there's any, um, you know, buyouts and acquisitions and and know exactly what the rosters are going to look like when we get to the playoffs. But right now, Lakers are the favorites. And the Jazz, the Clippers, and whoever comes out of the East are the, are the contenders. I think that's pretty good. I think that's a, a pretty good analysis of where we sit in the NBA, twenty-five games in. But the Jazz are a game in front of the Lakers in the standings now, and on an unbelievable roll. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the best of the Jazz post-game show. That's coming up next. Stay with us.
1: Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 in the zone. The Utah Jazz have done it again. They've beaten the Boston Celtics. They've won their fifth in a row. They've won 16 out of 17. They've matched the best start in club history at 20 and 5. And they're on pace to win 66 games. (laughs) Well, in an 82-game season. This is going to be a 72-game season. Maybe it'll be a 70-game season. We'll see how it plays out. But uh, if this were an 82-game season, uh, the pace they're going would yield 66 wins. This is an excellent basketball team. Now, not every team on that pace wins the championship, but man, it puts you in the conversation, that's for sure. And that was a good win for the Jazz over the Celtics. So, what do the players think about it? Does Donovan Mitchell think he's an MVP? There's a question coming up to Donovan Mitchell. you got to phrase it carefully so he'll answer and even laughed. I see what you're doing. Okay, that was pretty good. Um, and to Rudy, uh, you know, the thing you'll notice on this, there's a lot of national media in this. USA Today... Um, ESPN. People are paying attention. You got the best record. You beat the Celtics. You're 25 games in. Uh, that national respect that a lot of Jazz fans crave, it's coming. You'll hear it here in the best of the post-game show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
3: It's your Jazz recap here on DJNPK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz have now won 16 out of their last 17 ballgames. They beat the Boston Celtics last night on TNT, 122-108. to 108. The Jazz had an absolute offensive explosion in the second half. They ended up uh, finishing the game with their highest offensive rating of the year. Boston threw a number of different uh, difficult defenses at the Utah Jazz, and nothing seemed to really have any effect in the second half as they pulled away in the fourth quarter and looked just terrific doing so. Donovan Mitchell, 36 points, 9 assists, 4 rebounds. Joe Ingles was great, 24 points, 6 assists. Rudy Gobert, 18 points, 12 rebounds, and 3 block shots as uh, the Jazz faced a good Boston Celtic Celtic team and ended up uh, coming away with a 122-108 win. Let's start things off on uh, your post- same sound with jazz head coach Quinn Snyder.
4: Okay, we'll start with Tony Jones, the athletic
5: coach. um Donovan is like just really blossoming, um, you know, in the last in the last couple of weeks. And, and tonight he just Who's kind that, of took Tony over. I who,
6: who was who was blossoming? I, you said
5: I said Donovan is really blossoming in the the last couple of weeks, and he's kind of really taking over. What's he doing right out there, and what does it mean for you guys long term?
6: Well, we're not worried about long term right now. Um, we're worried about, you know, each game and that's one of the things Donovan's been he's been locked in, you know, possession by possession. Um you know, I think his efficiency in pick and roll is something he, he takes great pride in. Um, you know, I thought you know, his ability to get people involved and you know, and then pick his spots you know, particularly when he fills the game and not forcing himself on the game. So, um, you know, he his donovan you know i think like our team you know it just wants to get better and you know he's not going to be satisfied and you know improvement you know we've talked about it is it's not linear you know and you you go through things especially i think we forget sometimes that he's such a young player um because really from his rookie year he's been asked to do so much so you know you put yourself in that situation and um you know you hold yourself accountable as much as anything and you know that's what he's done and, you know, you see it on the defensive end, too. I told him that before the game. You know, his presence defending is also something he's taken pride in. So I thought maybe a signature play in the game, frankly, um, late. They, they switched, um, you know, a small, small pick and roll. And Rudy sprinted up from the baseline and got a good, clean screen. And Donovan rose up and hit a three. So, you know, those two guys being connected, um, you know, it's something I know the two of them, you know, take pride. In and
7: it's a big thing for our team.
4: Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Hey, Quinn, you guys have been uh, pretty excellent in third quarters all season long. And tonight, again, you put in 42 points on efficient shooting. What's kind of been the secret to coming out and, and being able to kind of turn it up so effectively after halftime? Well, I,
6: I think... You know our guys you know they talk to each other and you know whether it's a you know an adjustment you know a general adjustment with the team but more importantly um they, they're figuring stuff out uh, amongst themselves and those tiny things that they recognize and do um you know is something that, that i think helps us and more than anything i just think there's a pride in in our level of focus and you know that's something that 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 you've seen, um, you know, as much as the third quarter, I thought the way we, we started the game tonight, they were six for seven out of the gate. We had a couple of breakdowns and we just didn't let that impact us. We, we, we started defending better and that, that's, that's the biggest key. We've come out and guarded either at the beginning of the game or the beginning of the third quarter tonight, we didn't do it at the beginning of the game, but we did it in the third quarter. And, you know, I thought we, the only thing we, we, we fouled too much. But other than that, I thought we really kept our poise. Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com.
4: Quinn, what did you see from Mie and his defense specifically?
6: he just works, you know, it's, it's something, whether it's two minutes or three minutes or 10 minutes, um, you know, Mie's taken pride in, you know, what he can do to help us win. And oftentimes that's taking a matchup. Um, You know, he's made some great plays on the offensive glass. You know, I thought George as well, Um, you know, sometimes rebound is just, you know, is will. And uh, those types of plays, particularly from Mie, you know, give us a big lift and we got a few second chances points tonight, um, and that was really good to see.
4: Mark Medina, USA Today.
6: Hey, Quinn. Um, where have you seen uh, continuity go into play in the early success of the season, I mean, given the unique circumstances of this whole year? Well, you know, we've had a different a different path in that, um, you know, we had a, a really a new team last year and trying to figure out, you know, the way that we wanted to play, how we wanted to play together, different combinations. And then, you know, Mike was out for a little bit. We just – we traded for Jordan, um, you know, and then the, the COVID situation hit and, and we lost Boyon. So, um, the continuity is something that our guys, I think, have committed to as much as it is if you, you look at our – our our roster, there's some key guys that have played together for a few years. Um, But whether it's Boyan coming back this year, you know, JC's taking great pride in this defense. I I think the continuity as much as anything is, you know, this this team wanting to develop an identity, um, you know, that we can run and, and take our shots, but that we can also defend. And that's to me where the continuity shows up more than anything is, Uh, on the defensive end. And obviously, you know, the identity of this group is, has evolved and hopefully we'll continue to.
4: Last question. Tim Bontemps, ESPN. Hey Quinn, sort of along those lines. uh, I know, like you said, you're a guy that always is focused on kind of what the day that's in front of you. Um, But as you're in the middle of a run like this, that you're in and you're kind of seeing what your team is doing on a day-to-day basis, how, how does it feel to be able to see that identity kind of coming together as it is now and translating the way it is on the court on a daily basis?
6: Well, you know, anytime you see a team kind of mold itself, um, you know, for the players and the coaches, that's, that's a gratifying, you know, whether you're winning or losing, um, you know, a team that collectively tries to play a certain way and is committed to that. And I think that's, that's what we have, and it's a group that isn't you know concerned with our record, or win streak. Obviously, we want to win. Um, but I, I think the focus is is really squarely on on getting better. and um, you know it's a challenge to do that um, when you're playing well, but there's always room you know to improve. and I, I think these guys have really internalized that.
3: There you go. That's Coach Schneider after his team won their 16th out of the last 17th ball uh, ball game, beating the Boston Celtics 122-108. to Let's get started with the players. Let's start out with Rudy Gobert.
4: Hey, Rudy. We'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Hey, Rudy. So, obviously, with uh, Mike out injured these last couple of games, you guys have had to change things up a bit. What have you seen specifically from Donovan during that time to kind of step things up and, you know, take on a little more than he normally might
8: have to? It's been great, you know, the last few games, uh, especially controlling the pace, uh, you know, and uh, fulfill the point guard role that, you know, we miss when Mike is out. And, uh, you know, him and Joe, you know, obviously have more and more responsibility when Mike is out and uh, they've been great.
4: Tony Jones, The Athletic.
5: What have you seen um, out of Donovan that that's, you know, improved uh, this year uh, as opposed to the three years, that the, the previous three years that you've played with him?
8: Uh, decision-making. You know, I think he's uh, really able to understand the tempo of the game, you know, and uh, be able to you know, find his teammates and, uh, you know, I think he improved every single year, but this year is really, you know, the, the, the year where I feel like, you know, he has been, it's, especially the last few weeks, you know, he's been on his best and, uh, you know, and when he does that, the team just takes, just goes to another level.
4: Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV.
7: Mike Conley was saying the next step with this group is to be able to close games, what are you seeing as far as that? And what do you think about the amount of closers that you have on your team?
8: I think our mindset has been great, you know, uh, be able to lock in even more in the, in the, when it matters, you know, especially at the end of the games. Um, I think it's collectively, you know, you know, communication, uh, physicality, and understanding the, the momentum of the game. And, uh, you know, it's something that the great teams are able to do. And, you know, I really feel like we've been able to do that this year. Uh, this is another level that we can that we can reach, but, uh, you know, we're just going to keep going better and better.
7: Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Last couple of games, you've been really aggressive defensively and trying to block shots and kind of be all over the court in terms of, you know contesting games. okay yeah for maybe more than that but um it, it, how, how have you kind of made a more uh constant i guess yeah a, a idea to to try to be more aggressive on the defensive end
8: i just try to be uh you know the best i can be defensively and i know that the team needs me to to be there for my teammates and to be there to you know, to to be to protect the basket and to to guard on the switches too, and and make sure the guys don't get layups and not able to score. So it's really, you know, about picking my moments, you know, know when not to contest when it's a bad shot and and make sure we get the rebound and and know when to challenge the shot and either change the shot or or get the block.
4: Good ESPN. Hey, Rudy, how, how much of what you guys are doing right now is because of what happened in the bubble and kind of the the lingering thought you guys had leaving there on what you guys left on the table in that Denver series?
8: I think it was a great learning experience for us. You know, it definitely made us, made us grow as a team. You know, I think every every struggle, you know, every tough moment uh, in life in general, you know, really helps you grow. And uh, I think it really... Uh, Embrace that, and you know we really came back. We really felt, I really felt like we came back this year with a with a purpose. And you know, obviously, like I said, like I've been saying, you know, there's still a a much higher level that we can that we can reach. You know, we still a lot of ways that we can get better and better. But um, you know, I really feel like we have a, a chip on our shoulder, and we need that if you want to do what we're trying to do this year.
4: What what are what, what are those ways that you think you guys can get better when you have the best record in the league and have won 16 out of 17?
8: I mean, there's a lot of ways. You know, I think individually, uh, me for example, I can I can you know be a lot better. Uh, I can make more free throws. You know, all all, kind of, all details. You know, but things that are gonna really matter down the stretch. Uh, our execution as a team. You know, I think uh, the last few weeks we've been better and better. But you know, there's still some stretches when. You know we can uh, not be at our best, and you know the best teams are able to cut those the stretches very short, and and you know and uh, and stay locked in, you know even more. So it's you know a lot of ways we can still, still get better, but uh, you know we all have that mindset. You know we we're not satisfied, and and uh, and we know that uh, we are, we have a long tough road ahead, but it's exciting.
4: Mark Medina, USA, today.
6: And hey Rudy, along those lines, you guys get a pretty good win tonight against Boston. You know, your schedule coming up is against other marquee teams. What do you think these stretch of games uh, can
8: reveal about you guys? I think it's one game at a time. You know, uh, most of those teams, we already play them besides uh, the Sixers and Miami. So it's really, you know, uh, on us keep getting better. Uh, you know, keep doing what we do. And, uh you know, it's one game at a time. It's a, it's a long season, and uh, we're just going to keep getting better and better.
4: Maxime, the free
1: agent out of France. You're muted.
5: Sorry. Sorry, you hear me? So, yeah. uh, how do you increase your, your free, free flow efficiency with your with, the, with the, the move
8: we have the same accent yes uh, just work you know i think uh for me it's all about just shooting the ball uh you know when i'm when i'm in the gym i'm shooting really really well so it's all about you know not even think about it just shoot the ball make the shot and uh, and i know that uh, i'm gonna make them so it's uh you know it's been better than early in the season and it's gonna keep getting better no. Thank
4: you. Kyle Campbell, Utah Jazz. Hey, Rudy. um, not sure she's been here before this season, but Mama Gobert was in the building tonight, um, and she was very, very hyped. Uh, considering that, you know, this is one of the only arenas that has fans, how does it feel to be able to, you know, play in front of her and have her back in the arena
9: cheering you on?
8: I mean, it's a, it's a blessing, you know, to be able to, first of all, play in front of fans, uh but also be able to, you know, I have my family or you know, or people that that I really love uh, be able to watch me live. So, you know, obviously we wish that fans come back in every arena soon, but um no, just a blessing. You know, it's uh it's just great. You know, I had to make sure that, you know, we got the win because she she was watching the games from home for you know, during the whole winning streak at all. So I didn't wanna us to lose the first time she was coming. So that was an important win for me.
3: That was Rudy Gobert, 18 points, 12 rebounds. He did it on 8 of 9 shooting, 2 of 3 from the line. He had 3 assists and 3 block shots, and Rudy was an absolute difference maker, had the highest plus-minus on the team last night at plus 23. Let's now hear from Joe Ingles.
4: All right, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Joe.
7: It seemed like... um with Mike out tonight, you were kind of taking it upon yourself to to pick your spots and be a little more aggressive maybe than you have been other times. What were you what were you seeing out there tonight? And and was that kind of a conscious decision on your part or just kind of taking what they gave you?
10: Um yeah, I mean I think anytime someone's out and obviously Mike's a a pretty important part of our our group. Um we've always had that same kind of next man up mentality. And we've, we, we all know it's, it's not just on one guy to, to go out there. We're not relying on on Donovan to to make up for Mike or whoever's out at the time. And um, obviously with, with Mike being out in that specific situation, I know I'm going to have the ball in my hands a bit more at at, at times uh, with that second unit. And um, honestly, I was, trying to get J.C. going for most of it. I was trying to trying to figure out things that I could kind of get him an easy look and um, glad we we did in that third quarter found some some good stuff for him. But um yeah, I think like you said, just kind of give them what they take in me. Obviously know there's going to be times that I'll have the ball more um, in different scenarios and, and the way they're playing and um yeah just try and take advantage of them when I when I'm out there and when I get them.
4: Deseret News Joe how aware are you um, for the foul situation you know they were really close to being in the penalty early in the fourth quarter and it seemed like you guys were attacking a lot more to try to get it there so I'm just wondering how aware you are and what the situation was
10: I meant when I was failing giving free throws but that's a much better question um yeah, uh, I think. I mean, I think in in two or three of the quarters they were in foul trouble pretty early. I think at the second it was like six and a half minutes. We looked up and and they were in, we were in the bonus. So, um, yeah, I I mean, it's not necessarily we're we're not going out there trying to get that's not our kind of first priority. I guess trying to just get their fouls, but when you see eight, seven, six minutes and they've got three or four, you know, if you can obviously keep attacking and um, it's nice to shoot free throws for six minutes in a quarter if we, if we can get there. But, But I think it's more of, I mean, coach doesn't come in and, and, is up about trying to trying to get to the line, but just just attacking and playing the way we play. And um, obviously, we're trying to get the rim and we're trying to get threes. And and the guys we've got that can attack the rim can, can draw fouls as well. So um, once we know we're in the bonus, I think you, you change your mindset a little bit because you do want to. I mean, taking two free throws is stops the clock um obviously it's an easy possession for us to to get a couple points and then we we go and set our defense so um yeah once once you're in the bonus you, you i don't think you well, we're still gonna I think we'll probably still take a three over getting fouled but um yeah just that con- conscious effort when you know they're in foul trouble to, to be aggressive and, and get in the pain and if you've got the opportunity to, to draw one drawer and um and we'll take the free throws chris and kenny just
7: tv through these 25 games, what have you learned the most?
10: Um, having three kids is awesome. Um, <laughs> a 12 week old son is amazing. Um, no, just been a, I, I don't know, uh, I mean, we're obviously a very, very similar team to what we were last year. And you obviously throw Fave back in the mix and um, just that con- continuity of, of having the same guys and, and obviously, we're not playing two different a style Obviously, mixing up kind of our percentage of shots and, and where we want to take them in, in terms of threes in the rim. And I um, oh yeah, I said it last time, it's just a really fun group to play with. Uh, I think we this year compared to other years I've been here, we've been able to win in different ways. Um, we haven't just won because we've shot the ball well every game. We've we've won on the defensive end. We've we've won with with different styles, different guys. Um, it's just a yeah. I mean, it makes it so much fun and and off court, on court, practice, the plane, wherever we are. It's a it's a we've got, we've got a great bunch of guys. So um, I think we'll keep learning along the way, different ways to win, different things that work for us. I think as a group, we every couple of games or every game you figure out something that something that JC likes or something that we can get an easy shot for Boyan or whatever it is. And I think. With, with the IQ of our our team um, you, you throw that in there with how smart our coaching staff is it's a it's a pretty fun mix uh, um, obviously we we enjoy it like I said we have fun but we're, we've got a, a way longer term goal in mind which which keeps us pretty focused and um, don't even just said it then it's like just don't be satisfied we've got to obviously we've got a couple of days which will be nice now but we'll um, Get some recovery tomorrow, start uh the scout and get and get ready for the
11: next one.
4: Last question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Joe, do you think teams guard Donovan differently this year compared to maybe last year or the year before that? Or is it is he just kind of taking advantage of maybe, you know, like defense is collapsing in or focusing in on him to get you guys some open threes a little bit more?
10: Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, he's unselfish as hell. So that that makes it very, very easy to, we don't have a guy that's getting double teamed or or whatever, or blitzed and he's trying to beat it every time or, or he's trying to shoot over the top of it or whatever it is. He's very comfortable getting off the ball, um, and letting us create for him. Um, I've said it before, and there's been so many times he's, he's told like, Mike, go get it. Joe, go get it. Like, bring it up or, or run this or whatever it is. Uh, um, I mean, through what is what twenty five games? I think he's seen damn near every coverage you could probably throw at him. Um, we, they've switched with him, they've blitzed him. And Like I said, being um, as smart as he is as a player, um, being able to read the game, and and then obviously the unselfishness is is something that um, kind of ties it all together for him. Then I mean, you throw on top of that with how, how gifted he is on the offensive end. Um, I mean, the last five minutes, then there was no question. We we're just going to give it to him and, and let him create because he, like I said, he, he he's not just looking for himself. He's looking for Rudy. He's trying to skip to to Boyan in the corner or whatever it is. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's times that I think we all get kind of caught up in the. You make a couple of plays, you want to do it again. You want to get the ball and make another play. You want to you want to help your team. And um, we've got a, a very balanced group of
3: of sharing the load. And obviously, when we get down to what we, we know what we want to do in crunch time. That was Joe Engel's 24.6 assists. Joe was terrific. Joe randomly went to the line 10 times last night. He was 9 of 10 from the free throw line, filling in for Mike Conley in that starting lineup and doing a terrific job. Let's wrap things up now with Donovan Mitchell.
4: Alright, we'll get started with Sarah Todd, right News. Hey, Donovan. Um, not talking about you, so I'm going to try to get you to answer this question. But um, just when you when you watch the NBA growing up or before this year, when you're surveying the NBA landscape, what type of player deserves to be in the MVP conversation?
11: <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think, know you know, yeah, that was clever. I think, you know, the, first and foremost, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, team play. You know, it's, it's, it's an MVP award for sure. But, you know, you don't get there without a team. And we've been playing well. You know, I think for, for, for me looking at it, it's, it's just the team, you know, on the on the best team. We, we're doing our thing. You know, we have a lot of room room for improvement, but we're definitely doing our thing right now. Um, Yeah, and just making plays, you know, not necessarily, you know, having 35, 10 and 10 is doing whatever that's needed. Um, and I feel like my teammates trust me. I trust them. And I think, you know, I'm not too worried about it at the end of the day i mean i know what it is you know um been here four years and the fans know we just don't necessarily get all the credit we deserve and that's not just singularly on me and i feel like we we use that as a chip on our shoulder um and i'm just very fortunate to be in this position where my teammates trust me to go make plays like that um but the other stuff if it happens it happens you know i think the biggest thing is winning winning takes care of everything and that's been my mindset you know uh ever since I got here. Winning heals everything. You know, it's the outside stuff is what it is. It's not up to me. I'm just going to go out there and be the best teammate, best player I can be, and go from there. That was very, very great how you were at that time. I like that.
4: Tony Jones, athletic.
5: I'm going to try to do the same thing that Sarah did. Um, <laughs> how, how much of your improvement or your, your drive to improve – is driven by, like, yo, the only teams that win an NBA championship are teams that have top-end, a top-end so-called superstar. Right. And how much of your improvement is driven driven by that thought?
11: I think, you know, what goes into that is the the trust factor that I've had since I got here from my teammates and coaches, you know, and then that in that myself. I'm always going to be confident in my abilities and what I can do. Uh, but the trust factor allows myself to be in that position. But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, you look at, you know, these teams, there's, there's always going to be chatter of, you know, who's the top dog, this, this and the fifth or whatever. But at the end of the day, for me, like I said, winning heals everything. I'm going to go out there and make the, the plays that are necessary, whether it's scoring. Some days it's passing. There may be games where I go 0 for 10, 0 for, 10, 0 for 15, but it's by by any means necessary. It's pretty much the the motto that I, that I have, I think, for me, just finding ways to, to win the game. Um, And like I said, everything else will kind of take care of itself. The biggest thing is I told you at the beginning of the year, like we we got bounced out the first round two years in a row. Like, you know, we got to get to, we got to get past that. That's, that's, that's it. And then from there, we continue to push our goals. Our mind is stuck on a championship. You know, we're not here to, to kind of say, let's just be in first and kind of get the accolades that come with that. We're trying to win the whole thing. Um, and that's been the mindset of this team and this group. And you see it with our play. You see it with our grit and our determination. And um, everybody's reaping the benefits of it. And that's, that's truly what it's about.
4: Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Hey, Don. So we were talking to Joe, and and he said that between your simply pure offensive talent and your unselfishness, there's no question that they were just giving you the ball for the last five minutes and letting you either do letting you do your thing, whether it's scoring or, or setting other guys up when you're in a stretch like that. Do you feel like a tangible difference? Like, do you recognize that like you're playing at a, at a higher efficiency than than you normally are? Yeah,
11: I mean, I think the biggest thing, first off, you know, like I said, it just goes back to having teammates that trust you in those moments. You know, I, like I said, I know I'm capable of and, you know, if, I, if any any player would tell you they want the ball in their hand, every possession, you know, but at the end of the day, when it, when it when it's when it comes down to it, I understand the plays I got to make, you know, I'm finding guys and it's not always necessarily score. You know, tonight it was, tonight it was scoring. You know, the, there's a possession where I drive and kick it to Joe. It's all about trust, the trust factor. That's, that's really all it is. And my teammates have made it easier on me to be able to go out there and just do what I do. And like I said, you know, the two passes to Rudy, you know, Y'all well, yeah, know last year, year before that, and year before that, I probably don't throw that pass, you know? So, like, that's the progression that I'm seeing in myself, that my teammates are seeing in me, and just being able to, like I said, to trust it. That's all it is, just trust it, and everything will will, will go. And it may not always go right, but, you know, continuing to find ways to, to just make the right basketball play. You know, in the late game, I, I definitely want the ball in my hands. I think my teammates do as well. I'm just trying to make the right basketball play. You know, everybody looks at me and is like, oh, he has to, to score. It's not always the case. You know, tonight was the night where I had to, but just making the right play, you you know, uh, to the right guys, finding guys, and doing whatever it is it takes to win.
7: Kristen Kenny, Jess be Tom, This is more just about the team overall. You guys are able to adjust much quicker now to whatever defenses throw at you. Can you take me through that process? Uh, what is the difference that you're seeing now with this group? The so attention to detail.
11: You know, I think. You, 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 you've you seen it in, in recent years like we, we kind of get stagnant when they start switching now it's finding ways to attack and it's not necessarily attacking the score you know it's not necessarily driving to say alright I got to ISO now I got to go score you know that gets tiring after a while believe me so at the end of the day it's driving to make a play you know driving to create an advantage and I think we we, we all see that and we have guys that can create you know from all different ways running the bigs not necessarily setting the screen, getting under, uh, getting under the guy, which has caused the defense to help on the backside. Now we got our threes. Now we're in closeout situations. Um, that's been the biggest thing for us: our contention to detail. Because there are times if we're not focused, you know, we're bringing the ball out slow, waiting. And it's possession after possession after possession to do that. You know, and it gets tiring after a while. It, it gets tough to score and, and win that way. So for us to do what we want to do, we got to continue to play through the switches, play through different coverages, and we did a good job of that tonight. John
0: Kuhn, AP. Donovan, you, you look at the team as a whole, you had four different players that had at least four assists
5: tonight. Um, from, from your perspective, what's led to
0: just that efficiency on offense that you guys are able to, to make the right plays at the right times?
11: It's really, it's really just, you know, the unselfishness of his team. We've had it ever since I got here. And even before that, you know, we get excited when we um, make that extra pass. I think that's what we feed off with that hockey assist, you know. And I know it's necessarily saying, oh, I want, I want to pass it to this guy so he can he can shoot. I think the, the pass to the pass, driving that closeout non-extra pass like that, we feed off that. And I think that's something that's special about this group because it's not always the case around the league. And I think that's why you see the numbers that we have. And there are times where we get mad at each other for not shooting the ball. You know, and I think that's a good problem to have as opposed to the other way around. Um, so I think that's that's really where we got, got where we're at and continuing to do that, continue to create those advantages. And that's what gets us going.
4: Tim Bontemps, ESPN.
11: Now, you talked before about uh, the motivation to
4: get out of the first round after the last couple of years. And I was curious how much of this run you guys are on to start the season, the way you guys are playing and you yourself are playing is any bit of a carryover from the way things ended in the bubble and kind of a, what you had to go into the offseason thinking about?
11: I think I think you know the biggest thing that went into was just our our motivation over the summer or whatever you want to call it the fall, the off season. You know, I think guys coming in like I, I look at Royce people don't people don't know Royce because uh, we don't play on TV, but like you look at Royce the past, like he came in the best shape of his career this year. You know, the determination in that sense. You know, you see the product on the floor, but I think it's the biggest things you see up the floor. You know, we him and I went to Miami worked out for for three or four weeks straight. You know, the work that I, I watched him do, I, I haven't seen that in his four years. Not to say he doesn't work hard, but he's, he's on another level. You look at Joe, Joe's been talking trash the whole day, like the whole offseason about how he's coming back ready, ready to go, you know, and I think that that right there stood out to me in, in general. Um, you know, obviously having faith back, JC's playing at a high level, Rudy's playing at a great level, Mike's comfortable, Boyan's back. You know, we, I think that's where we, we saw the difference, you know, we saw the, the work ethic just take another leap and then you get onto the court and now it's attention to detail, you know, because you can work hard and, and not think and now you, you're starting to make the same mistakes so now it's the attention to detail that we're doing that we're having and I think that's something that really shows how mature we've gotten in that time but now it's only been 25 games you know we got plenty more left you know and this is a great start but at the end of the day we'd rather have be there at the end as opposed to starting out great so
4: Mark Medina USA Today
11: Hey Donovan,
6: building off of those kind of big picture themes you talked about, what what are how are you viewing these upcoming stretch of games against other marquee teams, and to what extent
12: do you attach any significance to
11: to them? uh, I think the biggest thing is just one, focusing on what we do. You know, I think we've we've had this is the first game of of a a big stretch we got coming up. We just got to continue to focus in on the little details. I'm going to play the you know the the MVP coming into town. We got. we after that Miami, you know, they made it to the finals. We got teams that have deep playoff experience, high level players, and we just got to go out there and do what we do. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it comes down to what we do and how we hone in on our little details. And, you know, we're not going to put too much emphasis on it. You know, it's it's not like, you know, we're saying this is a make or break, make a break stretch for us, but we just got to go in there and continue to play the way we've been playing, share the ball, move the ball, defend at a high level, and everything to take care of itself because we're not, we're not playing to be ready. Uh, and by February, we're planning to be ready in in, in June, March, April, May, June, July, whatever. Um, Like that's, that's when we want to have our best product. these are good tests for us. And I think that's going to be our biggest thing, just passing each test, you know, passing each test one by one, just to see where we're at and see where we can build on things that we need to improve on.
3: Donovan Mitchell, 36 points, nine assists, four rebounds. He was 12 of 23 shooting, six of 13 from three, six of seven at the line and Boy, uh, last two games on TNT, has Donovan sure been good. Again, 36 points from Donovan last night. Absolutely phenomenal. The Jazz now have a couple of days off. They're back at it on Friday night. They'll take on the Milwaukee Bucks here at Vivint Arena. Tip-off will be at 7 o'clock. Pre-game will be at at 6.
0: There's the best of the post-game show, the longest best of the post-game show I think I've ever seen. That is a record-setter right there. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, What is trending? All the headlines are coming up. Stay
1: with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz.
9: Donovan, right-hand driving Brown, shoves off, stops, pops, hits, boom! Jazz 101, Boston 97. Bogdanovich gets an open three out of the timeout. I don't know how Boston let that happen. Donovan bursts out of the traffic, they're backpedaling, Donovan's attacking, leaves behind for Ingles, right side three, got it! Man, that was special! Back up top to Donovan, they switch Tatum to him, now they bring another defender, he fires the three. He hit it! Oh. Donovan Mitchell Don't do me like that Wow And the Utah
0: Jazz win again Five in a row 16 of the last 17 They beat the Celtics 122-108 Jazz taking control of the game in the third quarter Celtics The trademark NBA run to get within four Midway through the fourth quarter About seven minutes to go And then Joe Ingles hits a three Mitchell hits a couple threes And it's over Mitchell with 36 to lead the way. PK, another day, another dollar. Nothing special, nothing to see here. Jazz play, jazz win. What's the story? Can PK not hear me? Or he's stunned into silence by the greatness of the jazz. Jazz led by one at the half. And they just stayed with what they were doing. They weren't shooting the three well. They were shooting like 30% from three. And the Celtics were shooting 50% from three. But, Quinn Snyder, we know what we want. We want shots at the rim. We want free throws. And we want threes. Keep shooting them. And sure enough, bigger sample size. Keep launching them. The Jazz three-point percentage comes up. They end up shooting 37.5%. Celtics cooled off a little, but not a lot. But it was just enough. They end up dropping from 50% down to 45 percent sure enough the jazz pull away an enormous second half they scored 74 points in the second half so you play pretty good defense, and you play outstanding offense, 74 points and a half. It's just an enormous number, and it kind of slips away from you in the second half. You know, if you do it in the first half, you just see it on the scoreboard at halftime and you realize what's going on. But that was a heck of an outburst from the Jazz in the second half. No Mike Conley, no problem. Other guys picked up the scoring, five guys in double figures, angles with a huge night shooting the ball. He ended up with 24. Mitchell, I said, had the 36. thought one of the hidden keys in this Remember this year we were talking about all those Jazz turnovers, just so many turnovers, and they really limited those. When they go to Rudy, he's open, he's ready. They only had 10 turnovers in the game, and he was 8 of 9. They found space, they got him inside, they got him dunks, didn't throw him the ball around his knees, didn't have those lobs, tipped away, all the reads were good. So Rudy has his 18 points and his 12 boards. All right, more on the Jazz and the win coming up. They're 20-5, and which ties the best- start to a season in franchise history did it in 96-97 when they went to the finals the first time winning 80% of their games, they're on pace for 66 wins, all huge numbers, Jazz have a couple of days off too, they're a little tired see if uh, Conley's healthy enough to go they got a back-to-back Friday and Saturday my guess is they won't let him play in a back-to-back right out of the gate, so will probably miss one or the other but see how that plays out, Bucks are here Friday night, 7 o'clock, DJ and PK
1: Hashtag NBA. alley
9: Zion! The flush!
1: The feed from Lonzo Ball! They ain't done yet, Todd. Five on the shot clock. Embiid against Buddy Heald. Hangs. Shoots. Up from it. Got it! Got it! Embiid puts the Sixers up by seven with 68 seconds to go. Five seconds to shoot. Dame sizing up the defender. Steps back three. Pointer buries it. 34 for Damian Lillard.
11: I don't think that we go out every single day of our lives and sacrifice
10: the time in order to be average at anything. Uh, And we look very average, you know, and we have the talent that we should be dominating. Uh, You know, we have the experience in terms of some of our guys that have been through certain things, circumstances, to be able to battle through. And we're dealing with a lot of the reality that we're putting this together on the fly.
0: There's Kyrie Irving after the Brooklyn Nets dropped their third straight game. They lose to the Pistons 122-111. Jeremy Grant leading Detroit with 32 points. Now that he is the featured guy, he's putting up huge numbers. Couldn't do that in, uh, in Denver, but man, he's the guy now and the offense doesn't run through the Joker and, and Grant's putting up huge numbers. And the Nets, for all the hype and the big three, uh, they have not put it together. That was Kyrie Irving right there talking about it. They are 14-12. Now the third in the East, so that sounds good. But they're fourteen and twelve. They've lost to a lot of teams under 500. and 14 and fourteen and twelve in the West right now would make them seventh. They're not in the West, so I don't have to worry about it. But that that third is a little bit of, a little bit of fool's gold. There is they're struggling to be consistent. I think the one thing he said there that caught my ear is we're we're putting this together on the fly, you know. And that we, we've seen a lot of teams and they make the big move. It doesn't pay off the first year. The Heat lost in the finals of the first year. Uh, When they had their big three, who were planning on winning, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. They actually won two, and they lost to the Mavs that first year they were together. The uh, Lakers, when they acquired Gasol, they lost in the, when they acquired Pau Gasol, they lost in the uh, finals the first year and then won the next two. But I think everybody looks at the Nets and thinks, do you defend well enough? And you play these sub-500 teams, you know, and, and you get up for the bigger games and they've got a decent record against some of those better teams and you get up for it and maybe you play some better defense and and you win but it appears that it is never easy for the Nets and we'll see if this is going to work or if they're going to have to move one of the three guys and and get better defensively get somebody in the middle who can uh, do for them what obviously Rudy Gobert does for the Jazz maybe not at that level but you got to at least have something in there all right, the other scores. The Sixers have the best record in the East. We keep talking about, you know, who are the contenders? You know, the Lakers defending champs and they're the favorites, so you've got to beat the king to be the king and all that. And the, the Jazz and Clippers are off the great starts. The Sixers are 18 and 7, and that is the third best record in basketball behind the Jazz and the Lakers, but it is better than the Clippers. And the Sixers win again. They beat the Kings 119 to 111 in the Kings win streak. So they get that. Embiid went for uh, 25 in that game. The Heat have not had their guys, you know, and, and Jimmy Butler's been out, and Dragic has been out, and are they going to get on a roll? Because they are They're in the 10th spot, the new play-in kind of position. Uh, they beat the Knicks, and of course, with you know, 14-12 and 12 being third in the East, the, the Heat are four games below 500 that That'll get it together here. Butler went for 26 points and 10 assists. Good to have him back in the lineup, and uh, they beat the Knicks 98-96. Steph Curry who has been lighting it up for Golden State. 32 points, and the Warriors blow out the Spurs. And the Spurs had a nice little stretch going. They'd won three in a row and six out of seven, but a win for the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors sitting in the eighth spot, 13-12 in the West. Other news, the Dallas Mavericks has stopped playing the National Anthem before home games. The direction of owner Mark Cuban, he confirmed ESPN, the Mavericks do not plan to resume the tradition to play the National Anthem before games in the future. Cuban declined to make further comment on the decision. This is Texas. How's that going to go over? Not well would be my guess. This is what they've been doing all year, but it just took a few games before people noticed. Now, special rules this year. You can do whatever you want. A lot of teams don't have fans there. That'll be interesting when fans are back at the league orders teams to do it. But right now, everybody's got their, gets to do stuff at their own discretion. And Cuban... Uh doesn't want to comment and make it a bigger deal. So it'll be a big deal here for 24 hours. If he doesn't say anything, then we'll die out. Um, you know, we've already heard a lot of a backlash uh, in the bubble uh, when the NBA had Black Lives Matter on the court. And we saw lots of teams, you know, entire teams. Uh, in some cases, one or two people didn't take a knee, but we saw mostly a lot of people did. And we heard from fans who said, well, I'm done. Now, are those the exact same fans? Is this going to lead to another wave of people are out? Or... The people are out or offended by this, but they're already out, so it doesn't matter, and how's this going to play out? I don't know. We haven't we haven't seen anyone do anything like this, so. I suspect he'll stick with it for this year. It can't really hurt attendance this year, since attendance isn't really a thing. I mean, the Jazz are putting... As near as I can tell, the Jazz are having the biggest crowds of games. There may be a couple teams with a few more people, but the Jazz have bumped it up now. Orlando officially has, is allowing the only team that's allowing more currently. They are? Right. Okay, What's their number, do you know? 4,000 on the head. Okay, and the Jazz are at 3,902. Yeah, 3,902. Is the number that they've come up with for now. Now, they've already bumped that number up once, and I've heard that they actually have had some, some clearance from local health officials to bump it up higher if they want, and they haven't wanted it yet. See how it goes. You know, work with your ushers in the flow and maybe bump it up at some point. So we'll see if they do. But for most of these teams, attendance is an issue right now. Most of the arenas are empty. All right, DJ and PK.
1: Hashtag NFL. I don't have seven Super Bowl rings, but I think I played in an era where football was more of a contact sport. You're not seeing a lot of that now. You know, players are protected. But, you know, it's kind of hard to say. When when you got seven rings, you know, uh, you're doing something right. So uh, I think with Brady, uh, you know, he still wants to play. He said something about playing until he's 45. I think he can do it now in this league uh, because players are so much more uh, protected. So, yeah, he can have that GOAT uh, status. I never wanted that status anyhow. Jerry Rice
0: handing the GOAT tag to Tom Brady. I always thought Jerry Rice was the GOAT of wide receivers. I didn't know that we were comparing across the positions like that, PK. Apparently we were. So Brady can have the GOAT tag. He's got it with seven titles, especially now that he's done it with another team. Left the organization and went and won somewhere else.
13: Well, that's like me saying, yeah... Ryan Smith can have more money than me.
0: (laughs) Duh. It's already. The transition's already been made, but I'm glad you're cool with it. All right, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, really. Yeah, okay. Well, he's doing an interview. They ask him something. He's got to give him an answer, so there it is. Jerry Rice agrees. Tom Brady's a goat. I mean, that's better than Brett Favre saying these quarterbacks shouldn't be talking about trades. (laughs) They shouldn't be leveraged their way out of town. Brett. Do you remember the end of your career? Are you just just blanking out on all of it? You remember that whole retire, don't retire game for multiple years and then to the Vikings? Did the he Jets? leverage
13: his way out though?
0: Uh, you know, he kind of wore out his welcome. They did yeah, have they had guess, so leverage isn't exactly at right. best it was mutual. Yeah. But it was um I don't know, it just doesn't seem like Brett Favre has any room to talk on that topic. <laughs> just, I, I'd agree it was mutual. You know, at that point, uh, Aaron Rodgers had sat like long Montana. enough and he was ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I didn't feel like Montana was mutual. Montana was pissed he was leading San Francisco. <laughs> like, hey, we were in the NFC title game going for a three-peat, and we had the lead, and I got hurt.
13: Well, yeah. yeah and then I mean, all Joe of a sudden, wanted, I don't have the job anymore? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Joe wanted Young to be a good teammate when Young was a backup. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's face it, DJ. It's a situation you're going to face
0: in a few years. Oh, don't kid yourself. Maybe <laughs> earlier than that. Wow, well, pushing up the time. Yeah, a few months, few weeks. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, Tampa Bay. Boat parade. Not going to have the traditional parade. They're going to have a boat parade to celebrate their Super Bowl. That is what they did with the Lightning to celebrate the Stanley Cup. On the theory that people would be spread out around the the banks on the waterfront, and they're going to require them to be massed up. Don't know how they'll enforce that. Whatever. Certainly, the team can be spread out apart from the people, and uh, they can't do it on land. Uh, they're they're not doing it on land. I don't know if they I did, can't. I, know they, I don't know, know if they not. can't. I haven't heard. Well, just Canada tell can't.
13: them Biden got reelected to another four years, and then they'll, everything will be fine.
0: Yeah. So they'll do the boat parade. I mean, it's not like we got this long history of Tampa teams winning. I, I don't know what they did back in you know, uh, 02, 03, whatever it was when they won. Um, so, you know, maybe they, I guess they could. I don't know what kind of grief there'd be to pay, but they got the boat option. So, what would happen if the Jazz won it here? Could we have like the Salt Lake and people would be spread out all the way around it? I mean, well, I don't know what the circumference of the Salt Lake is, but Do everybody's standing really in the mud. You want to go stand on the? No, banks I of the don't. But lots of you know people who've lived well, and I mean, died. Well, no, we
13: we couldn't have it in Salt Lake, the Salt Lake City proper. We'd have to have it in one of the suburbs.
0: Should we Just have it along the Jordan River. Oh, no. No, I don't think we want to have it along the Jordan River. (laughs) No, just move it down to
13: Sandy or some other place. Obviously, it's not going to be down there.
0: Well, it could be in Salt Lake. I mean, you were. Come on. It was BYU band fans, and you thought that was stupid, but the Jazz are playing in front of 3,900 fans. So, I don't know. Dump on Provo. Don't dump on Salt Lake. Salt Lake's letting people congregate. BYU are the ones you labeled stupid the other day. Not BYU, Provo. because BYU, yeah, I think. I think people at BYU wanted it, but the Provo Health Department was a no, was a no go, a no fly zone.
13: Well, then meet in the middle. Have it at the prison. <laughs>
0: ah, there it is. To say point of the mountain. Here we go. Hey, once they empty the prison out, right? They're building the new one. I think PK's onto something. That'd be sweet. That's the problem. We're building more
13: prisons. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> okay, PK. Okay. <laughs> Down, boy. <laughs> <laughs>
13: Let me tell you, I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson sounded off on the amount of hits he's taken, his desires to be more involved with the personnel decisions for the franchise. With regards to the hits he's taken, he said, "Like any player, you never want to get hit. That's the reality of playing this position. Ask any quarterback who wants to play this game. But at the same time, as part of the job and everything else, I think the reality is I've definitely been hit. I've been sacked almost 400 times. So we got to get better. I gotta, I gotta find ways to get better too." So this goes against, we just heard Jerry Rice say, you know, there was more physical, more hitting back there. And we had Steve Young on the air saying the same thing. And meanwhile, Russell Wilson's over here. Hey, I've been sacked 400 times. You kidding me? Let's extend my career. Let's <laughs> not have me getting knocked out. Sure, yeah. On his desire to be more involved with personnel decisions, Wilson says, I want to be able to be involved. Because at the end of the day, it's your legacy. It's your team's legacy. It's the guys you get to go into the huddle with. At the end of the day... Those guys you've got to trust. Asked if he's been involved in personnel decisions. Wilson replied, not as much. Asked if he wants to be, he said, I think it helps to be involved more, but I think that dialogue should happen more often, in my opinion. Well, PK, we've already seen great players aren't necessarily great with personnel decisions because you just go to the NBA where, okay, you got Michael Jordan, he's MJ. But the Charlotte Hornets, it's a struggle to get to 500 and get to the postseason, and they're done quick when they get there. So... Great talent and great personnel decisions do not go hand in hand. It's not an automatic here.
13: Not even close, no. I think that uh, the thing about those guys who are doing those decisions is that is an extensive, high-involved job. So Russell Wilson, you just can't float in and, hey, what do you think about this move? No, if you want involvement, you need to show up at the office every day and do all the things that they're doing. You just can't do it on your terms. You got to do it the, on the job that's required so i would love to see that i would love to see the next jock say yeah i want that okay show up let's watch film let's go scout let go come to the combine with us and let's do all the things that are required of front office folks my guess is yeah i probably don't really want to do that much
0: easy now <laughs> you know i think a lot of this comes down to tom brady going to Tampa and saying hey, we got to get Gronk, and we can get Antonio Brown. And it works for him. These guys are scoring Super Bowl touchdowns. Brown had one and Gronk had two. And other quarterbacks see that and think, yeah, but, you know, do you have the relationships with vets? Can you just drop in when you really have firsthand knowledge? You know, Brady's in a unique situation and Gronk's retired, but Brady's got the relationship to talk him into playing. And so that seems more like a one or two off. I suppose what you're talking about where – Hey, to draft seven guys, I mean, I haven't I haven't heard an NFL GM talk about this, but I assume you gotta look at least at a hundred players, right? As you whittle this down, because you don't know who's gonna be available on the board. How many guys do you have to have slotted for every round? And I just think now now as I think about it, 100's too low. They gotta be looking at way more than that. The math on that is all wrong. You know, you wanna know if you're gonna trade up to get a guy, and then assessing free agents open across the league. In a handful of situations where you got first hand knowledge. Okay, you know, but man, across the board, that's that's too many decisions to be made. I think if we've seen anything, coaches shouldn't be that involved with NFL personnel decisions. When the coach tries to be the coach and the GM, there's usually a drop off. There's not enough time to do all that stuff. Kansas City Chiefs place outside linebackers coach Britt Reed on administrative leave following last week's uh, three-car accident that left a five-year-old girl in critical. condition. Uh, Andy Reid did say that Britt Reid underwent surgery himself after the accident, but wasn't more specific about that. So I assume we will hear more about that going forward. And Yahoo Sports National NFL writer Therese Paler died unexpectedly at the age of 37. He had worked for the Kansas City Star for more than a decade before joining Yahoo to cover the NFL at large. We just did this story with a baseball Reporter, who died too young. Pedro Gomez, who was 58, and that was way too young. Now a 37-year-old. All right, What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, will join us at 8.30 as the Jazz keep rolling. Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator, is here at 9 o'clock. 97.5 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. More on the Jazz coming up next. Stay with us.
1: <laughs> number
14: one. Make us your number one.
1: in the Zone Sports Network.
0: Hot Takes Your Toes brought to you by Jerry signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury has not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry signer Cadillac. Well, the question of the day, obviously based on the Jazz winning again, where else can you go but there? Uh, another game, another Jazz win, 20 wins, 5 losses. That start ties the best mark in franchise history, What more can you say? And people lined up on Facebook to say it, DJ and PK. It's out on Twitter now, too, David DJ James. Grab your phone, use our app, use the open mic feature there, send us your audio, and y'all can play it. We're ready for your hot takes. What can you say about the Jazz? 20 and 5. PK, you're rarely at a loss of words, but you've been talking about the Jazz every day for two months now, and they keep winning Anything you'd like to revise, amend, or have you said it all?
13: Well, there's no, no, I haven't said it all yet because there's still a lot to go. You know, 25 games into a 72 game season, you're still scratching the surface. It seems like they've been playing for a good long while. I think maybe because we're used to, wait a second, we're approaching the All Star break this weekend. And so our, our, like our biological clock, so to speak. <laughs> would indicate that uh, as we approach the middle of February that we're past the halfway season, halfway point of the season, which usually comes like the third week in January. So sometimes I have to think about it and say, well, wait a second here. They still have uh, well more than half to go. So even though this time of year would normally dictate that they don't, and we start – because to me, once you got into March – It was the stretch run, and uh, maybe I'll feel differently when we get to March. So there's still plenty of games to be played, but there's no question that this team is prolific offensively and the strategy that they set up with Gobert in the middle because it's so fun to watch him, and you really have to watch literally every single game to see because there's so much that he does defensively that don't have a specific stat related to it. But you could see that, I mean, I can recite 20 examples of guys, and Jim Jackson brought it up, about, uh, well, you know, the reason why he did that, he looked jittery or whatnot, <laughs> right. was because of Gobert, you know, and that doesn't really show up. It shows up in the wind, so it does show up, and the and the management and the coaching staff, they recognize it, which is why they've given him the massive contract. But I think to appreciate his value, you literally can't appreciate it to the highest degree unless you're watching like our listeners do, like the three of us do, yeah. which is literally every game. And so that continues to amaze, because you can see, it's like you can think along. Jalen Brown had one at the end of the game. Nope, not doing it. <laughs> and you can put yourself in the mindset of what Brown is thinking when he sees number 27, this octopus there with all these arms and legs, it seems like, that just go on forever. So that, that continues to be fun. And they've got an onslaught of offensive weapons, and you just never know who's going to just Bust you at a time when they need to be busted. Joe Ingles hit that's huge three as the Celtics came back and. Gave them some more, you know, a four-point lead to a seven-point lead. It's a big difference, obviously, when you have uh, the time dwindling away. He hit it in front of the Jazz bench. Uh, the one thing that is apparent to me is so far that they've done an excellent, excellent job of beating the teams they're supposed to be. You look at this Boston team. They don't have Marcus Smart. Fine, I understand that. Jazz don't have Conley, so that's a little bit of a wash. I don't I don't watch enough Celtics basketball to know how much of a wash it is. But as I look at this Celtics team, and they don't have enough talent. They just they just don't have enough talent to compete at the level that Ainge and his guys want them to compete at. So they hung around. They did a good job. Got off to a nice lead. Got some flow early. And then came back. And good for them. They made a run. But in the end, they just didn't have enough talent. And the great teams, historically, that's how you pile up these records, by beating those teams. And the Jazz in this run, have done a phenomenal job of beating the teams that they're supposed to win. They had like a sixty-eight win percent probability going in the game, and they won the game. That's what they're supposed to do.
0: So it's interesting the Celtics don't have enough talent, and I think that's absolutely true. You know, what kind of contributions are you getting from guys four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? In the playoffs, that number doesn't matter as much. So I guess one thing to look for the Jazz is how much are they beating teams because of their depth? And will that depth matter when the playoff rot- when rotations shorten up in the playoffs? So that's something for us to uh, you know, to debate deeper into the season. Uh, you know, And as far as Gobert and watching, and I, I, I don't know who it was to <laughs> – who deserves the credit? But late in the game, the Jazz get a steal and take off on a break. It, it, it might be the position possession and then it would Joe hitting a three on the assist from Mitchell. Maybe it was another play. But whoever got the steal got the steal because Gobert intimidated the guy driving into the paint. It was like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm shoveling the ball to this guy over here. And because he wasn't ready to pass, he hadn't, you know, assessed the defense and all that, I think it was Royce. Might have been somebody else, but I think it was Royce poked the ball away. Well, that pass would never would have been made if Gobert wasn't there. Whoever was would have gone to the rim, you know. So the stat literally ends up, and then, you know, the other players still got to make the play, but the whole thing started to change when somebody saw Gobert. And there's no stat in the traditional box score for, and somebody saw Gobert, you know. But there are so many of those moments scattered through a game.
13: Yeah, and you have to watch it consistently to appreciate it, which we do, so we know – F- are full well uh, oh, yeah. full well his value because we're watching virtually every game every second of every game uh pretty much and so we can see that. I think as far as the depth I, I think they stay with the rotation when they get there because I don't think their rotation is outrageously deep.
0: Uh, no, I think the Jazz stay with their rotation but other teams might be able to shorten their rotation and be a little better. Uh, uh you're right. I think yeah, I think yeah. the Jazz stay with their rotation largely. You know, you might see a few things where, you know, Mitchell and Gobert play bigger minutes. Uh, But largely, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think the Jazz rotation is going to be that far off in the postseason. But other teams that are playing nine guys right now to get through the regular season might be able to play seven and eight and cut a couple guys' minutes and give a little more time to their stars. If I'm a
13: Jazz fan, I have to pinch myself because you wait, you wait, you wait, and you hope, you hope, you hope, and that's the the reality of a fan I understand that completely and here you are at 20 and 5 you're getting all this just tons of national love now it's everybody's on board if you follow the NBA to any degree every single person who does that is on board Uh, they have to acknowledge that wow this is a really good team they've got a lot of good weapons this Mitchell kid and I think Mitchell already had established a name. Well, now he's taken it up a little bit. I mean, he's just sensational. There's no doubt about that. But you have to pinch yourself, thinking, can this, can this really be it? Or are you just sitting back? Yeah, LeBron. I wish he would have stayed the East uh, because he
0: is <laughs> he, here. But but the but the goal is the is the NBA title. So. Yeah, you know, if he were in the East, you'd still have Even to see him. Even if he's in the, in the East,
13: you'd still have to pay him. Yeah, yeah. I agree
0: with that. Yeah, yeah, that's.
13: I totally agree with that. He, he's not and missing the NBA Finals. I don't, don't worry in the East. about
0: that. <laughs> he, he had the East wired. He's one for two in the West, so and he's you don't, hurt one year. Yeah. So.
13: Yeah, and usually throughout the course of NBA history, there is a big time star who is the man, and at least since I've been really paying attention to the NBA which, you know, is hardcore uh, around 1980 when Magic and Bird came into the league. They captured my attention, and then I had a few years later, I'm moving to Los Angeles and I'm covering finals, so I'm right in the thick of things. And since then, I think I've been a hardcore fan for sure, and there's always somebody out there. It's what? And there's always – it's it's not LeBron, it's fill in the blank. yeah, It's whomever, and you're going to have to get past them. But at the same time, they're going to have to get past you. And it's well, not like uh, you, at twenty and five. You can't fluke your way to twenty and five in this league. You just there's just no way you can do that. And you look and you tie the franchise best star. Well, you go back to the statues, and we all know that they were everything that uh, this franchise was about, and they were all they were they were as good as can be for them as in terms of this franchise anyway. Uh, so you're right there with that team which means that to me you are right there in the league. I don't know how it's going to play out, but you can bet it's going to be fun to watch and there might it might end up in disappointment, but maybe it doesn't. That's the whole point. Maybe it doesn't. Because if you're 20 and 5, I would venture to say going back through me- however long they've been playing 82 games, if you're 20 and 5, it's probably not too many teams that weren't a contender at 20 and 5.
0: At 25, you're a twenty five year contender is just to what degree. And you already said whatever <laughs> what lots of jazz fans are thinking. Yeah, but LeBron's lurking out there. You know, we, we all know LeBron doesn't need the best record to win the title. They didn't have the best regular season record last year and they won the title. You know, the, the team with the best regular season record hasn't won the title in the last three years. So it guarantees nothing. But it they don't absolutely need it because you're the best team. Right. It absolutely puts you in the conversation. But to go back to what you said earlier in the segment, if there's a part of you looking over your shoulder going, yeah, but there's LeBron, well, you know, that's probably a pretty smart thing to say. There is LeBron. But we don't even know when the finals oh, are going to be, final. let alone who's going to be healthy and who's going to be playing well. It'll be so in the summer. Too much obsessing. Right. But it was like less, <laughs> during the post game last night, last, <laughs> uh, Donovan's like, you know, the goal is to be playing well in June. And then, just on the fly, he's like, oh, wait, our calendar's different this year. And then he's like, or, you know, March or April, May, June or July. I mean, he just literally throughout every month that's in front of him like, I don't know when the finals are going to end up, but w- whatever, you get the point. You know, so he's just throwing every month out there. And so, you know, you can worry about that matchup, but you're not getting to that matchup until June or July. So we can keep assessing it, and we will reevaluate it when they play the regular season games. And we always do that. You know, team A, wow, they look like they really match up well with team B. Okay, it's one thing to match up in the regular season, it's another thing to match up in the playoffs. So, yes, we'll reassess it, but we'll just be kicking the can down the road because we'll reassess it again in June based on how teams are playing yeah. and who's healthy. And, you know, we still not only have the trade deadline still to go, we got that buyout phase, which always seems like a backdoor way, but whatever, it is the way, you know. And so, if teams have one short thing, does a veteran get back, uh, get let out, and there's one problem? team has can they fix it by adding a guy I think the answer is usually no but you can't say the answer is always no sometimes you pick somebody up who matters
13: that's why if I'm Jazz management I don't think well we'll worry about that then now no I'm concerned about it right now because you look at it when the Jazz were going to the finals the idea was to beat the Bulls and they made moves designed to beat the Bulls and the legendary Lakers Celtics You make moves designed to beat that other team. There's nothing wrong with that. So if they have an opportunity, I don't know that they would, but if they had an opportunity to do something that would help them against either the Clippers or Lakers and you can make it in March, go ahead and make it. So I think they should be looking forward to the potential playoff matches and see what they can do. And the more time you study that, and maybe you can overstudy it and you can – as Bronco would talk about, Chase Ghost, you can get crazy on that. But I've got no problem with them looking ahead. Management, I mean, I don't want the players. you, you got to be focused on one game after another and all that stuff. But if they decide that they can make a move that can help them potentially in the postseason, even if it's just for a few possessions, go ahead and do it. Nothing wrong with that. Look, Look ahead. This team is that good. It's time to acknowledge that this team is that good. And why not do those things? I don't know that there's anything to do, but I think you're at that level where you can do that. And the Lakers are going to do it too. They're, They're thinking they're going to get to the Western Conference Finals, and who are we going to match up against? Well, right now it looks strongly like it's either going to be the Clippers or the Jazz. And so if they have opportunities and scout those teams and say, we need this against that team, we need that against this team, absolutely go ahead and do it. Because if I'm the Lakers and the Clippers, I know I probably have to come through Salt Lake. That that you can't take this weak mindset of, "Oh no, there's LeBron. <laughs> We're worried about him." LeBron, damn well better be worried about you too.
0: And I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers do the same thing. How do you shape up a roster? What is the one hole you've got? How do That's you That's what I'm saying. How do you assess? And so, to sit here and predict what's going to happen in the playoffs, Kind of a a futile chase right now. Identify the contenders. Wait for the Big Dogs to play each other. And obviously we're counting down the days later this month. The Jazz are going to play the Clippers twice and the Lakers once. And we're all going to be focused on that. But until until then, they play the Big Dogs in the East. So we can focus on that. I think that... The, uh, you know, the thing Steve Cleveland told us about the Lakers is how much more he likes them with AD at the 5. And one thing we've seen from big guys, if they can play the 4, I think they probably want to. You know, less physical beatdown and all that. I mean, that's what we heard during Duncan's career, and they would routinely be, play big guys. But when you get to a playoff series, that's different. Hey, if the only way to win is to get that matchup and put me at the 5, well, then put me at the 5. But they don't want the wear and tear all year long of doing that. And so that's one of the many things that leads to different results in the regular season from the playoffs. Put it on a list. You can probably come up with several other things that are different from the regular season of the playoffs. You know, certainly the preparation is different. You know, the the schedule is finally the same, where it's been different in the regular season. You know, one team's on a back to back or a long road trip. I have seen stuff on social media. You know, well, of course they beat the Celtics. You know, the Celtics were on the fifth game of a Western road trip and were worn out. Of course they got them. You know, and all that stuff goes out the window in the playoffs.
13: Well, you're going to do that, but everything adds up to one mm-hmm. one win per game, and so fine. The Celtics were this, the Celtics were that. Well, the reality is they're not going to face the Celtics in the postseason anyway. So we'll who gives a so. crap? Yeah. The fact is this this team is so good that it doesn't have to worry about anything else but themselves. If they play their game and do what they're capable of doing, they're beating anyone and everyone, and that includes the vaunted Lakers.
1: There it is. I don't
13: care if it's one game, it's five games, all that stuff. That doesn't matter to me. I mean, that's – did you win or did you lose? This is pro sports. And at 25 and you have that not, mindset. Yeah, at 25 you,
0: you probably have that mindset. You allow
13: no excuses.
0: Yeah, and you're not backdooring it. Yeah. And you aren't buying the excuses, "Hey, it's the third game of a road trip. It's a third game in 3 days and we're going to be exhausted." Hmm, yeah, but find another way to win. So We like to do
13: that the last few years. Once you do that, what you're saying is we're not good enough. That's what you're saying. We're not good enough. That's the message you're sending. We're not good enough. And I refuse to accept that message. I've always refused to accept that message, and I always will refuse to accept that message. You're going to lose. That's the reality of it. Even the greatest, Jordan won six, and he was in the league for more than six years. So you're going to have plenty of setbacks. But once you allow any type of concession you have to go and I like I'm listening to Shaq last night and they're giving him crap mm-hmm. and he's there well no I mean, I, you know I, I lose a way I motivate you know I, I, that's to get my guys going and, 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 you know and I'm thinking shaq you remind me of myself because <laughs> I do this all the time to- not all the time but there's, there's maybe like once or twice in my life I've lo- I've lost an argument and it was clear that I lost an argument but I kept talking and tried to find a way to win the argument I never conceded, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, that I was wrong. And you know that. There's two people who know that in my life, my wife and you. And so that. I will not concede. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. And that's what Shaq was doing. He just keep, keep trying to go. All right. You made a dumb comment there when you said that, to Mitchell, a few weeks ago. But he's not conceding. In a sense, I like that. Don't ever concede, man. Don't and don't say well whatever because you're going to have a four game and five nights and blah 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 like they did uh, Sunday, you know. I was listening to Locke. It's their third game in three and a half days. Like the half was the difference, you know. Three and a half days because it was a uh, it was a morning start Super Bowl uh, Sunday morning morning start start Salt Lake. Well, what the hell? It was even (laughs) more morning Hawaii time. I mean, don't do that. And they didn't do that. They, so, whatever, I know you asked Bogdanovich in the postgame, and he said, well, it was an 11. o'clock they'd, Come on, they'd been back east for a few days. They'd been on Eastern time zone for a, a, a while, so their body clock should have been adjusted at that point. It doesn't take five days. so But the mindset was, we're just going to gut this thing out and grind, and that's what they did. And that's the mark of, I can't say, of a team that's going to win. I can't say it's the mark of a champion because they haven't won it but it's the mark of a potential champion. I will say that.
0: DJ PK, all right, we got a lot of your reactions piling in. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. By the way, on Twitter, the uh, Rudy Gobert octopus PK that you mentioned, uh, I just retweeted it. Someone literally had made that graphic uh, last night, exactly what you were talking about. So I just retweeted it. Check that out at David DJ James. And hit us up with your reply, 20 and 5. Best start in club history. What more can you say? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now, let's get this party started.
1: This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz.
15: If we have the best record in the NBA, and we have one player who is statistically more impactful than any other player on our roster, why isn't he talked about as an MVP? We go to the MVP ladder. Number one is LeBron. Fair. Fair. Number two is Joel Embiid. Number three is Nikola Jokic. Number four is Kevin Durant. I guess. He's been great. Number five is Kawhi Leonard. Okay, but this is where the bullcrap starts. Six is 7 is Paul George 8 is Luka 9 is Steph 10 is Dame 11 is Jason Tatum Other 5 more Bradley Beal Donovan Mitchell Demar Sabonis Kyrie Irving Jalen Brunson. Watch the beep and game We're going to have the best record in the NBA We're just not going to mention Rudy He's just not going to make the list Like seriously
1: Hanson Scotting Weekdays from 10 to 2 On 97.5 1280 The Zone In the Zone Sports Network
0: DJPK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Question of the day, another game, another Jazz win. 25 start, 25 start ties the best record in franchise history for the first 25 games. What more can you say? And Ryan says... This is some of the best jazz basketball I've ever watched. Next handful of games will be a good test for the jazz. Hard to uh, debate okay, that. I generally agree with that. Yeah, I was going to say, hard to debate that. I'd like to see you go at him. You're good at that. You rarely give I, I in. I don't
13: want to go crazy uh, on these next uh, games through uh, the rest of February. And obviously the schedule on paper, team-wise, does get tougher. I understand that. But... Uh, I, I want to try to keep perspective, knowing that if they win them all, it's going to be hard. Or if they lose them all, then they're going to be thought of as frauds. You know, They're still in the BYU football phase of how good are you really. I understand that. A lot of people want to think that. Now, I'm watching them night in, night out, as we all are. And to me, I look at this team, and it, it's It's legit. Because you look at last night's game, and maybe if it was a better team, it might have been a problem. But I don't know that whoever you're playing, if I use last night as the example, what I mean by that is, okay, they didn't come out firing – all, they weren't making a bunch of shots early, right? And it looked like, ooh, the first quarter might get away from them. But yet when the first quarter ended, they were right in there, right? And so, well, if they played a better team, okay. If they played a better team, but on this particular night, I'm not sure that anybody else, and it could happen for sure, but I don't know it, that any team in the league was going to have a player who was as hot as Jalen Brown was early. You know what I mean by that? So he was, he just came out. He hadn't been playing. He was injured for a few games. So he comes out. So he's not playing four games in three and a half minutes or whatever the latest excuse is for these teams playing. So he wouldn't have been gassed. And so he was just lighting it up. So I'm, they withstood that. So I'm wondering, no matter who they played, fill in the team, uh, whoever the team is, uh, would that team, Damon Lillard say, because we know he could score and score quickly, would he, been, would he have been able to be as good in that first quarter as Jalen Brown was? So even though the Celtics aren't a great team by any stretch, they had a, a good player have a great stretch. And the Jazz withstood it, even though they weren't hitting a bunch of shots. So they were able to stay, steady the course until they got going offensively. And it, and it and it was Joe was pretty well consistent throughout the whole game. But then you had Bogdanovich got hot for a little bit. And then Mitchell taking over at the end and doing what he does, man. He's become a big time closer, it seems like. And Jimmy Jackson, who's buddies with Mike Conley because they both went to Ohio State, he had an opportunity to talk to him. And he said that Conley. And I don't know what that getup was that Conley was wearing, but it was very interesting. But nevertheless, he was saying, he talked to Conley, and he was saying, what's the next step for the Jazz? And he said, closing games against some good teams. You know." And Conley's been around a block a lot, so he knows he has authority in what he speaks. Well, Mitchell's becoming that guy, man. He is hitting all sorts of big shots, and tough big shots, too. And the thing about it, he has no hesitation, He's completely and totally confident and fierce. I I can't tell you how important that is to be able to believe in yourself to that high of a level. So when I look at this game, they passed that test, even though it wasn't a great team. But for a while, they had a good player play as well as pretty much anybody can play in that quarter.
0: I think that's all true, and I think you just put this on the list of what's different between the regular season and the playoffs because by you get time you get to the last two rounds, you're probably playing a really good team. And right now, the way they're playing, the Celtics don't look like they're headed for the final two rounds. You know, maybe they'll play better later on, and maybe they'll make some move or whatever. But right now, they don't look like... That level of team. But you can't hold that up against the Jazz any more than you can look at the Lakers and say, well, you didn't play that great against Oklahoma City. You didn't play that great against Detroit. They played well enough to beat the team they're playing that night. You got to pace yourself a little bit. Who's to say if the Lakers hadn't been playing the Clippers or the Jazz that night that they wouldn't have brought more effort and played better and won the game? Who's to say if the Jazz hadn't been playing the Lakers or the Clippers last night? They would have brought it earlier, and it would have gone differently. The, the first half played out. I mean, you're, you're, you're totally on to this. You know, they, they could have messed that game up out of the gate, but it was still like a three-point game after the quarter. They, they got way down there, but they got right back into it with a couple of shots. At halftime, they were up by one, and they were shooting 30% from three. And the Celtics were shooting fifty. Well, the Jazz were going to do better, and the Celtics weren't going to keep shooting fifty percent. And sure enough, both those things happened, and the Jazz had won winning by fourteen. So even when things aren't going well, even when they do uh, what they do best isn't really going that well, they're still leading the game. Thirty percent—that's not how they've made their mark at the three-point line and in the NBA—is shooting thirty percent. If that's re- if that's what they did, they wouldn't be twenty and five, and they wouldn't have the best record in the NBA. But over the course of a game, that's what they can do it, and that's why Quinn tells them to keep shooting it. And they did, and a bunch more of them went in, and they got that percentage up. I think they ended up shooting 37.5%, so they must have shot 40-something, maybe 45% in the second half. You know, it was good enough for the team they were playing, and that's really all you're held up for. That's all the Lakers are held up for when they're beating the Thunder and the Pistons. Beat the team in front of you, and they were good enough.
13: Yeah, but I don't think that it's just a one-dimensional offensive team that just, uh, that's where I would disagree with what Kenny Smith said a few weeks back, because I think Mitchell has the ability to get into that mid-range, into about the 15-footer, and make that shot Mm -hmm. pretty much as well as anybody. You know, Chris Paul was someone who's been able to do that, and he's made a tremendous living off of that for many, many years. Well, as I look at Mitchell, he's every bit as good or better than Chris Paul in that game. And so they have different ways to score and they're always looking for Rudy at the rim. So it's not like they're exclusively relegated to that and they got a bunch of spot up shooters and they that's all they can do. So they can and, I, and that's what I thought they were doing okay and they did that the other day in Indiana the threes weren't hitting and well, you know maybe they had some guests lacked a little gas in the legs and energy and all that stuff, but they still found ways, and, and Clarkson found ways to get to the basket. I mean, he, he can dribble you to death. I mean, you think you got him, and then he's still going, and you're like, man, your eyes are spinning in the back of your head because you're not sure where he is and how he gets off his shots. He really just does about every move that a player of his position needs to have. So they do have other ways, but at the same time, I mean, that's the kryptonite. If they had five, six guys off, they're probably going to lose.
0: DJ PK, more of you weighing in. We will get to that next. Coming up, 8.30, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator at 9. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Minky Couture. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blankets with the code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orem, Sugarhouse, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. Question of the day, with the Jazz beating the Celtics now, five in a row, 16 out of 17, they've tied the best start in franchise history. They have 20 wins and only five losses. They win in 80% of their games. That is In an 82-game season, That adds up to sixty-six wins. Obviously, they won't play an eighty-two game season. The Jazz in a ninety game season, that adds up to (laughs) seventy wins. The Jazz have never had a sixty-six win season. We'll see if they can sustain this. But at this point, twenty and five, what more can you say? Tony says they're really fun to watch, and several players are contributing, so it does look hopeful. Tough stretch coming. That'll give us a really good idea on how good slash great we are. Basketball. Saxophone, Spider. <laughs> uh, okay. We yeah, already know I'm they're good. So now the question is: You know, are they great? Are they the best? Uh, they're really good. That that debate needs to fade into the <laughs> rearview mirror. Yeah, are they the champ? Are they the number one team in the league? That's the best. Well, right now, they are. Got the best they can't record. Be the chomp until uh, the summer. Exactly. Got the best record by one game over the Lakers right now. And by, uh, I think it's two over the Sixers and three over the Clippers.
13: You know, if we want to go, uh, well, they're just beating this team or that team. You know, the Lakers needed OT to beat the Pistons and Thunder. Now, granted, the Thunder was without Anthony Davis. uh, But so, I don't think anybody's sweating that, all right? They needed overtime. They needed actually two overtimes against Detroit. Detroit sucks, but... Those things happen. The idea is, did you gut it out? Did you find a way to win? Like they did against the Jazz, did against Indiana. Indiana is right there with one of the more impressive wins under the circumstances. Because I'll give you that it was tiring and all that stuff, but what I won't give you is that's a reason to lose. That's where I won't go. I'll give you the circumstances in and around leading up to the game, fine. But go ahead and find a way to win. And they did. And that, to me, that's a sign of a good team. That's how you rack up those 60 wins. I mean, you're not whoever the leading contenders are, whoever wins 60 games, just go back the last couple of years. I mean, well, it's not like you're beating the Warriors at their prime every game
0: anyway. And there are 60-win teams that have been really good that have gone down in flames in the playoffs. The uh, Atlanta Hawks, <laughs> I went through Braves, Falcons, I was calling them the wrong name. The Hawks had a 60-win team, and they got swept in the Eastern Finals by LeBron. And Houston had a 65-win team, but they lost to the Warriors. So it's awesome that you do it in the regular season. You'd rather win than lose, but you still got to beat those teams that have the vets, who have the playoff experience, who know how to just get through the regular season, stay as fresh as possible. If you drop a few games, so what? You don't have to have the best record because you've been there before and you know what it takes. And both the Warriors and the Cavs at that point, they'd been there and they knew what it took.
13: Uh, I. I think that if you play high-level basketball, you know what it takes to win. I mean, I think that's overstated. They know what it takes. You don't think Mitchell knows what it takes to win an NBA title? Sure he does. Gobert. These guys have been around the league now. Conley.
0: Well, you have to say that obviously they're first-time champs. So when you don't know for a fact, teams and players still do know, that's how you win a championship for the first time when you haven't won it before. But I do think it's a legit question to ask about a team that doesn't have anybody who's played in the finals and only has one guy who's been in a conference final. And that doesn't mean that they can't figure it out and get it done, because they can, but it's at at minimum – it is a legit question to throw out there.
13: I don't think they have to figure out anything. They just got to beat the team. They already know it. It's a question of doing it. I don't think they have to figure it out. They, they have to win. And I think we need to get to the point where, well, they have to play them. Well, I think they need to be, from the Jazz perspective, they have to play us. That's my big mantra for the morning. They have to play us, too.
0: I don't it's doubt not Rudy, simply, we yeah. have
13: to play them.
0: I don't doubt that Rudy's thinking that right now. I get that Jazz fan listening may not be thinking that right now, but I, I think Rudy's already thinking that. And well, think they Rudy's need already to change
13: their that. attitude. <laughs> Each right. and
0: every one of you is. That's right. If you're driving through Leighton on, uh, on, uh, on the 15 right now, I-15, change your attitude. Yeah. Holiday. Let's go. Great. Let's go. All you people headed to Lehigh. A it's new time you
13: have a winner attitude. In order to be a winner, you have to have a winner attitude, and you have to believe you're the best. And why not believe it? What more do you need to believe right now? What more do you need to have happen to have you believe? Come on, this is a community of believers, Dave. You're <laughs> right front and center. I would all say- the sacrificing you've made in the faith, in the name of believing. Come on.
0: I would say, and I believe that a lot of people driving through Leighton and Lehigh and wherever else Jazz fans uh, commuting this morning, think, what, what one thing do I need to see? What do I need to see? Let's see the Jazz dismantle the Lakers on ESPN on Wednesday, February 24th. Let's see that. And that I'll believe. That's it? That's all
13: it takes? They don't need to dismantle them. They just need to beat them. You don't get any more style points for this. Isn't college football this? That's the great thing about the pro, pro sports. This isn't settled by
0: some stupid committee. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't have what to Shaq tune into <laughs> in
13: ESPN at seven o'clock on Tuesday night. The People buy into that nonsense. It's all a television show designed to suck you in to make money, and good for the college football people because they certainly have done it. And so we get all excited. Oh, man. And we, we tweet it out, the Cougars are ranked ninth. The Cougars are ranked 12th. Can you believe that? Meanwhile, cha-ching for those people yeah. who are doing that stuff. Get out of town with that crap. Some have a, Once you involve voting, it's voter fraud. That's what I'm calling it. And I'm not going to believe it's legitimate, nor will I ever believe it's legitimate. It's a bunch of nonsense. But at the pro level...
0: Who's got the most wins? That's what it is at the pro level. Who's got the most wins? Who's set up? Who got themselves and earned whatever seed, and there's no voting? If the Bucs are the fifth seed, they're the fifth seed, and they'll just have to go beat Drew Brees, and they'll have to go beat Aaron Rodgers, and then they'll have to go beat Patrick Mahomes. You're the fifth seed because of how many games you won. Deal with it. And they did. Now they're going to have a boat parade. All right, we've got more people weighing in here. Uh, <laughs> great win. This is, a, this is a good one here. Steven says, great win, fun to watch, hate to be that guy. I'm really interested in see how they compete against the Lakers and Clippers in Denver. You know, Lakers and Clippers, I get. Uh, obviously, just look at the standings, and they're second and third, and they've gotten all the hype. Denver's that interesting case, right? Because Denver, if you look at the standings, they, were, they weren't very good at the start of the year. Then they had a great streak, and now they're struggling again. Big time, and they have dropped big time in the standings. They had gotten all the way to fourth. They dropped all the way to seventh. They're only a game over five hundred. But are they somebody the Jazz could see in the first round, who's a tough matchup, the Joker can get hot for a series and knock you out? It's easy to stare at the Lakers and Clippers, but do you have another team that's kryptonite that's a tough matchup somewhere else? I, I actually think that that would work for the Jazz big time, You know, to get a team who totally had their attention and completely had their focus and the Nuggets would because the Nuggets knocked them out last year. But I get why you put that in there. You, you saw the Jazz lose to Denver. Now they've also beaten Denver this year, but we don't seem to focus on that. We focus more on the loss because the Jazz have won 16-17. And What went wrong? Well, they hit a bunch of threes. That's what went wrong. Scotty says, I'm not a jazz fan, but I couldn't be more excited for my friends who are. Keep it up and finish the season just as strong, if not stronger. Go Jazz Go, or whatever the hell you people say. (laughs) Kind of dismissive at the end, Scotty, for being so supportive.
13: (laughs) Actually, I don't see how you're not a jazz fan, though. I mean, I get you're not a hardcore in it for life. I understand that. But when you watch this this team play, how do you not come away from that by not being a fan of the way they play? And I mean that honestly.
0: Because it's fun to watch the ball move and it's fun to watch guys stick three-pointers from all over the place. And then hit big ones at the end. Oh, yeah, the big
13: three has replaced the power move dunk. I mean, Bogdanovich had that one, drove down the left side and throw it. He likes to jam it uh, authoritatively with his left hand. We've seen him do that a, a few times now, and, and, that, and that's a fun move. But you don't see that as much. There's not as many in-your-face dunks and all that. What The way the, way the game has evolved is the big three, and the step-back three in the face of pressure – that Donovan Mitchell can do, or Bogdanovich, some dope comes flying by. He slide steps, and and then is behind the line and makes the three. Place goes. Can you imagine if there was 19,000 people in that arena last night? Man, things just would have been so loud, and so and thankfully they're letting in some close to four thousand. I mean, obviously that's better than nothing. You can get a little bit of an atmosphere there. But that three that you say, yeah, that is just fun to watch. Anytime you're playing unselfish ball, it's fun to watch. Selfish ball is where it gets boring, for me anyway, and I think probably for a lot of people. So I think as the Jazz continue to, I don't want to say burst on the scene, but continue to grow in acclaim, that more people will get on board. If you're just a, I like to think of myself as a basketball purist. I like to think of myself as a pure sports fan. I'm in the, into it for the love of the individual sports, as opposed to rooting for uh, team X Y Z. And I want to see the game being played the right way. And the way the Jazz play the game right now, it's a different game than what it used to be. But they're playing it the right way. So how are you not a fan of that?
0: You root for another team. Right. I
13: get it. You 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 have your team. But still, how are you not a fan of that brand of basketball? It doesn't necessarily have to be the Jazz. It just is the Jazz. That's what we're talking about. But how are you not a fan of that brand of basketball, no matter who's playing it? It's like watching Gonzaga, too. Right? I'm not a personal fan of Gonzaga. But watching them play and move the ball the way they do, I'm a fan of that brand of basketball. That's what I'm saying. And so I think that you're going to see a lot more people who are going to get behind the Jazz and say, yeah. And you, and you've brought this up many times over the years, copycat league. Yep. If we don't see more teams doing this, now it's hard to get a number 27 in the middle. So you can copy it all you want, but there's not that many. Players on the face of the planet here who can do defensively and move have the lateral ability to get out on a screen and still recover to make that shot difficult. I understand that those guys don't fall off trees, but if you can find ways, you might. I think we're we're, we are seeing it, it's just finding ways to accomplish it, and we're going to see that even more so. And maybe we see. If you should get a Gobert like, well, then I don't need him to shoot threes because his value is so great that I don't need him to do that. Other teams, well, your value wouldn't be nearly as good, so you would have to add it other ways, and that's for big men shooting the three, like a Lopez with Milwaukee, who we'll see here on the weekend. He's not somebody who's an intimidating rim defender, but he adds value to the team. He has size but he can also step out.
0: Well, I think to the degree it is a copycat league, I think the Jazz have loosely copied, uh, you know, the way the Warriors built their team, right? A ton of three-point shooting, a really deep bench. Now, the differences are, you know, they had Steph Curry, and they had Klay Thompson, and, you know, is Donovan Mitchell one of those guys maybe? But they certainly don't have those two. But at the same time, they got Rudy defensively, and that wasn't what the Warriors had. I mean, they put big guys in there, but they weren't overwhelmingly dominant. Um, but they made up for it because they had even more star power shooting the ball. But there are similarities. Both yes. teams shoot the three really well, and both teams could go down the bench, and the seventh guy and the eighth guy could come in, make contributions, and beat the guy across from them in the you know 20 minutes or whatever that they got to play.
13: Well, I'm not going to put Mitchell on Steph Curry's level just yet. That's not fair. He's too young. Check back in three years, but he's on the way. And in certain circumstances and situations, I will. Just like I said with Jalen Brown, you know, that first quarter, he's probably as good as anybody was going to be in the league in that given situation. He's not as good as anybody in the league consistently, but in that first quarter, he was. Same deal with Mitchell here. In certain situations, he's on that level. But I think where the Jazz get you, you know, they may not have the the upfront punch with a Clay Thompson and a Steph Curry. But I'd have to double-check off the top of my head, thinking back on that, those Warrior teams. I don't think they're having a Clarkson and Ingles off the bench, and I realize Ingles wasn't off the bench, nor do I, ha- I think they have had the ability of someone who was a bench guy, but I need you to be a starter and play so well. Ingles was just outstanding. I can make a case that that was one of his top five games as an NBA pro. I mean, he was just incredible, man. And and to, to it's like, okay, you need me to do this, and we'll have him on tomorrow, I assume, and we'll ask him. And he'll downplay it because he likes to shrug and doesn't really like to talk about himself. And, and, and that's consistent in who he's the, – the great thing about Joe is he's not a phony. He is who he is, and he's stayed consistent to that. So it's not like – Oh, all shucks, you know. I just did what I did. You know what I mean. He doesn't. It's what he's. Whether he's zero for five or five for five, his mindset is still the same. It's about the team winning the ball game. So he's proven true over all sorts of circumstances. But I find it interesting that okay, Conley's out. We need some more punch. I'll give it to you, Hmm. and he does
0: that. That was he was awesome. All right, DJ and PK, we gotta take a break. When we come back. Uh, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, will join us. He's coming up next, and we will look forward to Joe tomorrow. Yeah, basically the argument for Joe is, Joe, you go out and do that, Jazz fans think you can do that all the time. And if you don't and the team wins, so what? But when you don't and the team loses, it just drives them nuts. That is the essence of why people have been screaming for him to shoot more uh, all these years. Because they feel like he's got that in him, And now we've seen it, again. Because that's not the first time he's done that. All right, Tim Lacombe coming up next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started.
1: This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz.
15: If we have the best record in the NBA, and we have one player who is statistically more impactful than any other player on our roster, why isn't he talked about as an MVP? We go to the MVP ladder. Number one is LeBron. Fair. Fair. Number two is Joel Embiid. Number three is Nikola Jokic. Number four is Kevin Durant. I guess. He's been great. Number five is Kawhi Leonard. Okay, but this is where the bullcrap starts. Six is young. Seven is Paul George. Eight is Luca. Nine is Steph. Ten is Dame. Eleven is Jason Tatum. Other five more Bradley Beal, Donovan Mitchell, Demata Sabonis, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brunson. Watch the beep and game. We're going to have the best record in the NBA. We're just not going to mention Rudy. He's just not going to make
1: the list. Like, seriously. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Kick it, bitches.
0: DJ and PK reminding you Valentine's Day is this week Flowers make the perfect gift Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmy'sflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's Day is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmy'sflowers.com. The party Hounds and the big dog joins us now. Tim Lacombe, former BYU assistant coach who's also on Rick Majerus' staff at the U. Now he's our jazz radio studio analyst. You hear him with Jake Scott. On the pre-half and post-game shows, Tim, good morning.
12: Whether you want to or not, this is the guy you got. (laughs) ELC, in the house. What's up, boys?
0: (laughs) So, have you gotten your second win now in the Jazz season? Because there is something, you know, you think you're watching a lot of basketball, and you think, but when you have to have the old butt in the old seat for the pre-half of the post, no matter if the game is interesting or it's predictable, if it's close or it's lopsided, you get a whole different feel for the NBA season. It can wear people down. You getting your second win now? You sound pumped. Uh,
12: no, I'm, I'm still actually looking for – I've ordered my second win on Amazon, but it's, it's a day late. Um, I, the doorbell rings. I think they're bringing my second win, but hopefully it will come today.
13: Well, when it comes today, I don't know that you even need it because I have all sorts of energy for this team because the way they're playing is just simply sensational. The thing that I like is that you just look at the last two games. You know, Early last night, the shots weren't just dropping left and right. Pretty much the whole game against Indiana, three-pointers weren't necessarily dropping. So, find ways to win. Can you speak to the... what what am I looking for? Just to the hallmark of a team that finds ways to win when your number one way isn't necessarily working for you.
12: Yeah, I think what's been um, fascinating about this season so far, and I think DJ, you hit it on the head. um, I've never experienced an NBA season like this, you know, because last year I kind of did some of the games, and this year I'm doing every one of them. So uh, you know, for me, being having been in the profession a long time, I, I noticed every little thing from the very beginning of the season. And, you know, what I think the reason this team has finds different ways to win is I believe, like, they're all invested in winning. Um, I think this is a, a team that says all the right things, and I hear all that, you know, from coaches and from the players but what's really exciting to me is that that message and everything they talk about, when you watch that with your eyes, you watch the games, you see all of that. You see all of the, you know, that they're intent on making the right basketball play that guys have committed to becoming better defenders. Um, you know, that, you know, the coaching staff, we're going to play faster and we're going we're gonna to tweak kind of what we do, and they certainly have done that, and so, what's exciting to me is that all that stuff you mentioned pK is definitely um, tangible. It's not ethereal. it's not stuff that you know a lot of times players and coaches will say stuff and then the actual product on the court doesn't match anything that's being said. and I think that that's to me been more exciting than anything is that this plan was put in place uh, and the buy-in from the team seems to be a hundred percent and I think when you do that, you're not fixated on simply one way to win, but like you mentioned, finding ways to do that.
0: So it seems like even when things are going wrong, and this is one of the things they say, but it's hard to do, even when things are going wrong, there seems to be this mix of, well, number one, they keep doing what they're doing. You know, you keep shooting threes, right? But there also seems to be this patience, and like, hey, we can get rebounds, or we can defend and lock guys down. So even when it's going wrong and they're down by six at Indiana, it still feels like they got this. And that level of confidence to get that is is—it's a really hard thing to do. But it seems like they've done it and they've got it.
12: No, it's funny because I, I actually made that comment to Jake. As tough as that game was in Indiana, and tough as a circumstance with three days in – or excuse me, three games in three and a half days. Obviously, the early tip time for the Super Bowl. Um, and an Indiana team that really, that team and those guys have given the Jazz trouble. I think last year they beat the Jazz 25 in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So um, I had the same feeling, though. You know, the Jazz, there, there was parts of the game where they just maybe weren't clicking, um, but their defense, their rebounding, their attention to detail really keep them in every game. And you know, with this team, that that spurts coming, um, and again, the, the nice thing about it doesn't have to come in any particular way. Doesn't have to be they may make a flurry of threes, or they they get the game out and transition a bunch. They can beat you in so many different ways, and it's really a couple of those things stacking up that start a run. And then once they go on a run, and the confidence kicks in even more, you know that's where, like last night with Boston, I knew it was it was a kind of a nip and tuck close game. But I knew the Jazz had their run in there. And honestly, I felt really comfortable the entire game. They're going to find a way to win.
13: How about old man Joe Ingles, man? Joe, if you're driving to work, you're one of the senior guys on the team, so I get to call you that. Or not to work, driving your kid to school. Uh, Conley's out, so he just plays one of his better, if not the best game of the season, man. That's quite the luxury to be able to call on him and have him deliver like that.
12: Such a luxury. Uh, you know, I've talked about it. It's What makes this Jazz team unique is, uh, you know, for years our, our come from around here was a big guy gets the rebound and throws it out to Stockton or Darren Williams and they dribble the ball up and they initiate offense. And, you know, you run great half-court stuff and you screen hard and you play really fast, you know, play with a ton of energy and that gets you what you want. Um, to be able to have a couple of different guys that, you know, you can outlet the ball to, or can bring it on their own. Uh, heaven forbid you just start the break, which is really hard to, to defend against. Uh, but then to be able to put all those guys, and by those guys, they're not just guys like you mentioned. Joe Ingles is—he is phenomenal. Um, he may be one of the best guys in pick and roll, and his pace. People we talk about pace as coaches all the time, and pace is kind of this. Uh, ethereal word for, you know, really reading the situation. and Transitioning with pace, you really want to have some fire in your step, like we saw Donovan late in the game last night. Take that thing all the way to the cup and score. Um, but pace can also be in a ball screen where, you know, you you come off the ball screen, you're in sync with the guy setting it, um, everything happens in synergy between the two of you. You're reading your defender. If your defender's behind you, you keep him on the, their hip what he's just, he's just so good at reading the defense and, you know, to have Mike Conley out and to be able to bring a guy like that in to just run the show and calm everything down, ends up with six assists, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And the thing I'll say about Joe, I think, you know, we talked a lot about Mike Conley being a little bit out of his comfort zone last year. And I think it really affected Joe too. And I think that's where we saw Joe, you know, maybe, trying to figure out how he fit, where the shots were coming from. I don't sense that at all this year. I think he's um, completely comfortable. And, like, last night in my mind, there's a lot of reasons the Jazz won the game, but I think, PK, you're on to probably one of the biggest reasons. And, you know, Donovan was spectacular. Um, But Joe really, like Mike's done all year, kind of ran the show, held everything together. And I'm a huge fan of Joe. He loves fun playing the game. He doesn't take it all that too serious. Um, he understands bigger things. But, man, he's a competitive guy. And he really, really understands score and wants to win.
0: Well, you can tell that with the trash talking. Because he gets going sometimes.
12: Yeah. but I, mean, I want you to just... like me. Literally, i got three of us playing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want... would be in your grill.
0: I want you to talk about the pace. And you must have, as a college coach, tried to coach up you know, freshmen and sophomores on this kind of stuff. Because you'll hear a team that loses and has a lot of turnovers say, oh, they sped us up. And you want to be fast and athletic and have that when you need it. But the best defensive players slow down. They know they have all the answers. And they're just waiting to read, like, what are you going to take away from me? Okay, if you take that, then I can go do this. Because they've got – are you doing dishes?
12: No, no, I'm just grabbing a diet coke out of the. Okay, good. Out of the garage, so Sorry. they
0: they've got all the answers, and so the whole slow mo Joe thing isn't because Joe is slow. If he were that slow, every pick and roll would be run at him, and the Jazz would be giving up 150 points. He's that slow because when you're on offense and you're really in command, you get to do that, and it makes you more dangerous. Can you kind of explain that and elaborate it and how you try to teach it to you know 19 year olds? <laughs> and he's got well,
12: it. You actually just did a great job because really that is the essence of it. Um, pace is not particularly the, the speed with which you play, but more the force. And the force is dictated obviously by what you see. Um, your defender, obviously everything starts with your defender. Uh, your defender will give you cues. Um, when they, when you catch the ball and you, you just take a snapshot of, you know, who, who am I first and what are my strengths, and then what's my defender? You know, where is he and what's he doing? And a lot of times guys will close at a bad angle and open up the gate. And, again, if you're tuned into all that stuff, you'll have a great understanding. And what's awesome this year about the Jazz is really all it takes to get a, a offensive spurt started is to pushing the ball in transition and breaking the paint. Or catching the ball on a skip, you know, start with a ball screen, come off it, skip it. Your guys reacting to how, you know, you, to you catching the ball, and when they close to you, that's where your opportunity to read, and then pace dictates. Hey, I'm going to be patient here uh, and use a ball screen, or no, hey, this guy is completely out of position. I am going to take advantage of that left shoulder, and I'm going to drive hard right through that straight line. And I'm going to put pressure on the defense. And in a ball screen, um, you know, you need to let the guy get set. That's number one. You guys have, you know, you and the guy setting it have to be an unbelievably good sync. And he has to be set. You've seen oftentimes where Rudy's not quite set, guy starts and moving pick. So it's an easy way to, to foul it up if you're too, you know, if you're too quick. But um, catch the ball, survey it. Read your man. And then the next progression is read, you know, read the help. And what the Jazz have done so good is I think they've communicated and taught that so well that they're always figuring out a way to play on advantage. And last night, Boston switched everything. And we know that's been a little bit of a a kryptonite deal with rockets, you know, teams with length that can switch. And it really did kind of slow the Jazz down in the first half, but it didn't bog them down. And they got to to halftime, and they went in and made some adjustments. And they came out and absolutely torched it. And as David said last night, you know, most teams have a plan, and it works fairly well for a bit. And then they got to pull the ripcord on the plan. And that's when you know you're playing great offense and you are using pace to your advantage.
13: So over the course of the next two weeks, they got Milwaukee, Philadelphia, the Clippers twice, uh, the Lakers, Miami's sort of a disappointment, but they've had all sorts of issues there. But nevertheless, the teams that I just looked at are just named all pretty good teams. So, schedule beefs up. Uh,
12: what are you expecting as far as this goes? It's funny, we talked about this on the pregame last night. And, you know, when you have an 11 game winning streak and you win 16 out of 17, isn't that where we're at right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the expectation is probably to win every game you play. I mean, that's – I've got a whole theory on expectation and how – what I feel like the Jazz are doing is they're now prepping for Milwaukee. And they're figuring out ways to tweak their plan last time that worked well so that they – you know, Milwaukee has to come in here and and adjust to what the Jazz are doing. Um, My expectation is that this team is – Right now, one of the top, you know, three or four teams in the NBA, and you know, record would say they're number one. We all know that there's really good players out there, but I think if the Jazz can continue to keep it simple, and I love that they've got a couple days off because I certainly needed one. Um, I needed. I can't believe I got two nights off in a row. It's pretty awesome. But these guys are going to thrive on this little break, and my my thought is I think this comes at a great time because akin to, like, a video game. The Jazz have played, you know, about middle of the road. They're probably 15th in strength of schedule. Um, so they played really good teams, and they played some teams that aren't considered great. But this is an opportunity now to level up. And this, um, this little stretch, which they passed the first test last night, I think they're in the right mindset where, hey, they're not looking at it being, like we just said, you know, the box. And the Heat, and the Clippers twice. They're looking at this thing like the Bucks. You know, what do we have to do to be successful against the Bucks? when they roll it out there and play? And I think as long as they can keep it simple, I really do believe they can. I mean, my thought is let's win three or four at home and let's go down there and split in L.A. Uh, but understanding that this Jazz team has the, the capacity and, the, and they could go in there and, do, and win them all, I wouldn't be totally shocked. But I think they go on another crazy run right here. It's just validation to everything that we've talked about to this point.
0: So how much do players really – and you told your players, tune out the noise, tune out the noise. But how much do they tune it out because – Pete and I were sitting there before the Celtic game going, Donovan's going to go off. A, he's going to have a great stat line because he's a great player and he has a lot of great stat lines.
2: But well, he gets B, to talk to Shaq if he does.
0: Right. Conley, yeah. <laughs> Conley's out, so he knows, right, there's nobody to pick it up if I'm a little off, so I better not be a little off, right? And then three, it's TNT and Shaq's watching. That's right. I'm going to drop the hammer. And so sure enough... 36 points, and he's sticking multiple threes. And you know you're not supposed to, when you're defended, if you have to jump over a guy to be open, you're not open. And that rule applies to 99% of the players, but it doesn't apply to the best. And so Donovan, you know, jumps four feet in the air over a guy and sticks a three from 27 feet. I mean, it was ridiculous, and everybody went nuts, but he did it. So how much is he really tuning out the noise, and how much of that is BS? And he wanted to just light it up on TNT
3: well
12: you can't in this day and age tune out all of the noise um you know obviously these guys like us uh have access to more information than we know what to do with um i think tuning out the noise is not so much a physical thing but a mental thing and i think there's sometimes the noise can motivate you uh in like in the case of this you know the this Shaq stuff um and i just want to take an opportunity to thank Shaq for um you know, looking out for us and and coaching up Donovan because I thought that was sure admirable. Um, of course, uh, but but I think that that's the key is I, I think you can get too entrenched in it, and you be you know you start thinking that your worth somehow is is defined by what people think, and that's certainly not the case. I think the piece to this, and again, I started with this. I'll I'll come back to it. I listen intently to everything that is said by this this team and the coaches, and whether it be LaGarza or Wells at halftime, um, Quinn before the game and after the game, and then the myriad of players that you get an opportunity to listen to. And the thing that I am tuning into, what I'm really trying to see is are the words that are being spoken and the stuff that's transpiring on the floor, are they congruent? Because I'm seriously, it, it could be a funny um, exercise to sit and listen to a bunch of stuff that sports people say. And then you go watch their games and say, they're not even things sound like they don't even look like the same thing where I think the jazz have really clued into stuff here is I think the mental side of this thing is really solid. And, Whatever they're doing with that, however they're focusing, keep it up because I think it's uh it's definitely paying dividends and this team is mature you know like Donovan's mature beyond its years his years, but the mixture of exciting young guys and vets um, that have been down a road before this ended in discouragement and want something a little bit different, I think that's what's motivating all this and so yeah, you cannot turn out tune out the noise completely, but my thought is you can use that noise and some of the information that comes from it to your advantage.
0: He's Tim Lacombe. He's on the Jazz Radio broadcast, and he is off until Friday. woo Then you get a back-to-back. And I'm not doing the dishes. <laughs> That's good. Once upon a time, a listener got a nickname because he actually was doing dishes <laughs> while lighting this up.
12: Well, I'm sure I've got nicknames um, that aren't shared with me, but uh, Timmy Tangent, will stick with that. And we did good today staying on on task because PK was so quiet.
13: Yeah, well, I mean, I do what I do.
12: And you do it very well, sir. Thank you.
0: All right, Tim. Tim McComb. Tim, we will talk to you again next week. We'll hear you uh, Friday night.
12: Sounds great. Thank you all for having me on. Have a great day. Tim
0: McComb, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator, is coming up. Yes, the Jazz lovefest Fest will hit pause in 15 minutes for a little BYU football. But first, we got more people uh, with their takes on the Jazz game. People just waking up, just joining the show. And we will get to those next. Stay with us.
1: The Big Show, the Big show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
3: Have you showed Lisa this story? No. Will you put the headset on her and show her that story? (laughs) Okay, now you be respectful while I'm gone, okay? Okay. Uh Hey, hey yeah. fellas, Gordon is back. Hi, Gordon. Yeah, she's not here. I think she's on a walk or something. Now wait a minute, did you eat something? <laughs> I grabbed a snack on. You I didn't did go even to... <laughs> go and look for it. I saw a couple of M Ms, so I chucked them in my mouth, and then I went to the other side of the house to look for <laughs> you it. You did not. You just went to the kitchen <laughs> to grab a snack. <laughs>
1: it's okay. Isn't it? Sure, they're waiting on air for me, but heck, I'm oh, hungry. Well, yeah, eat some. Oh, no, I got <laughs> a snack. Catch the Big Show weekdays from two to seven, presented by Big Oats. Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in The Zone Sports Network.
0: Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at the Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! All right, PK, we've oh. talked a lot about the game, about what people could see, what they did see. The thing that most people can't see because they aren't allowed on the Zoom calls and all the info to log in like you and I do. You know, there's a lot of people who want the Jazz to get national attention, and let's face it, you got to play the hits. There's more people in L.A. and New York. Those teams are going to get talked about more. They're not going to talk about the Utahs and the Indianas and the Portlands and the Denvers as much, unless you do hey. something and really earn it. And yeah, couldn't, yeah, there you go. could not help but notice last night on the post-game Zoom oh. that there were both USA Today and ESPN personnel in there asking questions yeah. of... Everybody And you know from doing a million of these, you can listen, whether it's old school, you know, 12 months ago, when you're standing in a circle around a coach, or if it's new school and you're on Zoom, you can hear the questions and you know where the stories are going. You know the stories they're working on. Anybody who's done it for a while can do that. And so True. as they ask multiple questions, you're like, they're stocking up on multiple Multiple answers here. They're going to be writing stuff going forward, and you get a third of the way through the season, and in a seventy-two game season, that was game twenty-four was a was a third of the way through. uh, You know, they're viewing them as they're a real deal and they're really good. And we usually do focus on the top ten players in the game, and the top three teams in the league, and the four or five biggest markets. And you look there, and you can usually find most of the stories they do. So we're now in one of the biggest markets, so either Donovan is now one of the top ten players, or Rudy is, or this is one of the top three teams in the league. Because USA Today and ESPN are showing up, and my guess is we're going to see more of that, not less.
13: That's the great thing about it, is that you can overcome all that. All you have to do is win. Now, all you have to do right. is a monumental <laughs> task, but you will receive all the acclaim, all the praise, you name it. You don't have to be any particular place, which I think you have to be. Is like San Antonio was so good for so long, right? And they're not, they're not bad now by any stretch, but they're not what they were. Uh, so they could receive a ton of publicity. Uh, Tim Duncan wasn't somebody who was comfortable doing that for whatever the reasons may be. That was who he was, right? He didn't like... Any of that stuff. Well, Mitchell is just a – he's a reporter's dream, right? He'll give you deep, extended answers. He'll speak. He'll make himself available. And so he is a commodity that you can really sell in this league that goes way beyond the Intermountain West and the area in which we live, right? He can be on the highest stage. And he can do it right here because they'll flock to you. You don't have to go to them. And especially now, too, with these Zooms, you were asking yesterday about things that might continue going forward uh, through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I can see the Zoom thing because what that does, the local folks may not like it all that much. It depends on who you are. I'm not sure. I don't know if they do or they don't. But you don't have to be there anymore you can be anywhere on this planet get the information log on and away you go so you can sit in maine to use an example you know uh, furthest place away northeast right you can watch that game and then participate in the post-game interviews and so with that way man the jazz can get more if they crave that or want that i don't know that they do but if they do they can get that now anywhere because you could just log on your computer. You can do it on your phone. doesn't matter where you are. And you could participate, as you've seen on that, all these questions that come from all over the place. So that's sort of cool to give that access. So I'm wondering, even if they have some type of in-person the way it was cons- you know, for many, many years, if they still offered Zoom, and especially here, why not? Get the word out. The word will get out, though, I think, because great play (laughs) requires attention. It just does. And if you're covering the league, all of us who are in this business, once we get past the fandom, and I think it may take a few years, but eventually I think most of us, if not all of us, who have been in the business for a long time, we get past the fandom. And we're not really caught up in – the team are my favorite team this or that. We're about stories. It's a story. Sports are stories. That's what resonates with people. And I just opened the LA Times this morning here and I saw they got a big piece on Clayton Kershaw about his maturity and his life and everything, and it's a picture of him and his wife and his three kids. That's a story. It's not about him throwing a curveball that breaks three feet and strikes somebody out. It's a story about the person, and I think that's what people are connected to. And so the Jazz, as long as they win, and they will continue to win, this, this story will only mushroom.
0: DJ and PK, we are gonna hit pause on the jazz for just a minute. Aaron Roderick, BYU offensive coordinator coming up, sending a quarterback to the NFL draft. What are they gonna do? He is now the guy because Jeff Grimes has moved on to greener pastures. Green is the color of the realm. Am I right, PK?
13: Well, Baylors, their color is green. I think that's Literally. what
0: Literally. No, that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> what I meant. But it works, so it we'll works just go with just it. Fine. It does. We'll talk with Aaron next. DJ and PK. It's 975 at 1280 the zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in BYU Offensive Coordinator, Aaron Roderick. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Well, Aaron, we had you on to find out what you think about the Jazz. No, we didn't. Oh. But it seems like that's the only thing we're talking about right now because watched, they are... I watched
14: last night. It was, a fun, it was fun, man. In fact, I've been watching them a lot. It's...
0: Well, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, they are crushing it. No, we did have you on to talk BYU football. And uh, you are now the offensive coordinator. You've been the offensive coordinator before, uh, but now Jeff Grimes has moved on. So you are in charge of the Cougar offense. And there's so many questions. There are so many transitions to be made here. I guess, uh, number one, what do you take from this past year and think, we've got to hold on to X, whatever X is? And some of the personnel is changing. Obviously, the quarterback is. But this one thing we are going to hold on to. We have to make this part of our identity. It really works for us.
14: Yeah, our identity was huge. We want we want to keep it. And that that identity was that you know we're a physical we a physical team that can throw the ball down the field. And that's that is the most important thing that we need to maintain. And uh, that's that was a great first question, really, because that's all we've been talking about. And it's funny. Uh, several of our players, offensive linemen in particular, approached me as we were uh, trying to hire an offensive line coach, and had a, several of those guys say, "Whatever you do, let's make sure that with this hire that we maintain that identity." It was important to them. They, they, the guys get it. Grimey did a good job of pounding that into their heads about we're a physical team, we're we're reliable guys, and we can throw the ball down the field any time. And so. That's what that's what we want to maintain, and, and the way that we present that from week to week can change a little bit, but um, that, that that identity has to has to you know continue. So usually, uh, a
13: particular coordinator on his side of the ball, he has a significant say in who's being hired to coach under him, basically, and there's some type of connection. What was the connection with this guy here, Funk, that you brought in to bring him aboard at BYU? Uh, so.
14: I didn't actually know him, which, you're right, is rare. Most of the time, hires like this, you're hiring somebody you know at least a little bit. Um, I didn't actually know Coach Funk, but I had coached against him at three different schools. So he, he was the offensive line coach for Sonny Lubick at Colorado State, and we coached against them a couple times in my early days at Utah. And then he was Brady Hoke's own line coach at San Diego State so coached against him there a couple more times and then also coached against him at Michigan when we when we uh play, when I was at Utah we played Michigan a couple times and he was he was Brady Hoke's line coach there as well and so i just from coaching against him over the years and seeing his teams play i was just always impressed with the physicality that they played with and the toughness that they showed and of course the respect i have for funny Lubick and brady hoke i know those guys are they're gonna have good good old line coaches. Uh and then just a bunch of recommendations about, about Coach Funk from from number of people that I knew from the profession, uh and that Kalani knew as well. Just just too many to name. A lot of a lot of people called about him and his behalf and and then uh spent a good oh shoot, it was probably three weeks getting to know him and just um all the hours added up, I don't know how many hours added up of getting to know him and just felt really comfortable with him and his background, that he'd be a good fit here.
0: So you and Kalani obviously both coached at the U. So said you had Kyle Whittingham saying the same things over and over, the same things he says to the media over and over. Position coaches have got to recruit, so it's good that you've seen his teams playing. you know how he coaches them up. But as far as a part of the country he can recruit in contacts, his ability to recruit—what about that end of the equation? Because I, I can't imagine, after working for Kyle that long, that you ignored that part of the equation.
14: Yeah, you're right, and he's he's uh, such an experienced guy. He's recruited just about everywhere. Uh, he's a veteran coach. I mean, his his uh, his resume is pretty extensive, and he's uh, he's very familiar with. He's from he's from Colorado originally, but uh Coach Funk is recruited uh very effectively in all over Texas. Um obviously he knows California really well and Arizona, you know, mo- all the western states. And uh in Texas I think he has a chance to pick up where you know, we're kinda of where we left off with Grimy and Eric Mateos both having Texas uh connections. So um but yeah, he's a good recruiter and um has a I you know, a big part of recruiting too is just being able to say I've coached these guys, look at my look at all these players I coach. Look how many of these guys are in the NFL. And he's got a long list of offensive linemen in the NFL or that have played in the NFL. And so I think that alone says a lot. You know, that gives you credibility anywhere when you go when you go recruit a player.
13: So from the fan and media perspective, spring ball takes on a whole other level of interest when there is a quarterback competition and you guys have that obviously. So we're going to yeah, be wondering too. who's <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this year including you you too. And yeah. so you've got uh opportunity to work with these guys to figure out who it's going to be. And all of us are going to be looking at who's going to take the first snap. Now, I don't know necessarily that that's a big deal, but what is your plan of attack for the quarterback
14: position going into spring ball? Well, first of all, it's going to be a challenge because it's hard to get enough reps, you know, for there's a finite number of plays in every practice. And so if you spread it around too much, then it's hard to find out anything about anyone and so but um but i kind of have to do that because we've got some good players in the room so we're going to have to it's going to have to be a a body of work that builds slowly you know over time and so you know people are going to want answers after the first practice how they look today or the fifth (laughs) practice even and it's it's probably going to take a a little bit of time to get have each guy build enough reps up with the first or second team offense um where we can actually start, you know, maybe ranking them or making a decision. So early on, there won't be, you know, much of a ranking. Um, I I think that Jaron and Baylor have both played in games for us and both, both played well in games for us. So I would just, I would probably, you know, say the first few days, I would see those two guys probably getting the first crack at some things, but we have uh, um, Jacob Conover and Soljay Mayaba as well, who, who, are really good players and deserve an opportunity so that's it's going to take a little time to sort it out but um you know, i've been through these things before and they usually you can usually tell in time like who who deserves to get the first shot at it you know and then and then doing it in a game and sustaining that is is the second part but the first part is just going to be putting those guys out there and in you know it, it, and the order, the order that they go in, will probably change from day to day, and the situations we put them in will change from day to day. They won't always be out there with the same lineup, or you know, the, the drills change situationally each day. So one day might be a two-minute emphasis, another day might be a red-zone emphasis, and just see how the guys react to those situations. And then, like I said, it, over time, you start getting enough, uh, large enough body of work that you can start making some, some fair judgments.
0: Aaron Roderick joined us, BYU Offensive Coordinator. So we've got one signing day, then we got a second signing day that's a little more on the ho-hum side of things. But then the transfer portal, it never ends. Our producer <laughs> Jake Hatch, a.k.a. Yock, yeah. is always updating us on the transfer portal and who's in and who's out. How many scholarships have, and I know this is kind of a Kalani-level decision too, and you yeah. probably have some input, but how many scholarships of the Cougars Holding back, there must be some kind of formula, kind of an idea. We need old two or four or whatever the number is. And what positions are you thinking? If we see somebody here, that's kind of what we're looking at. Let's see if somebody pops up. What are you thinking?
14: Well, I think we always keep one or Kalani always keeps one or two spots open, or at least tries to. Um, the The transfer portal is not, and. Uh, know I, mean, I think a couple of obvious reasons. one is just the honor code thing is not for everyone, and so that that alone whittles down the pool a little bit and then uh our academics are pretty tough the grad school situation here is not not easy to get into grad school and so um we it's not as simple for us as just looking at the portal and saying, "Oh, this guy's really good, and that guy's really good, and this you know we can't just do that so we have to like actually know something about each one of those guys and know how how much of a chance do they have to get in here and and fit in here and all that stuff. That being said, like Tyson no everybody knows Tyson had a huge impact on our team two years ago, so anytime we have a chance at a guy like that, we're not going to pass up pass him up and so we are actively uh you know watching the portal, but I don't think you'll see you're not going to see like, you know, a great number of guys in and out every year with us as, as maybe, maybe it's not as easy as it can be at other places. And, um, but it's, it's a factor for sure. And then the to, to answer, the other part of your question is we're sort of always looking for uh, those difference maker guys that, that play positions that maybe, um, you know, that let's be honest that, that aren't as easy for us to recruit. So, like we, you know, we we should never have a shortage of big offensive linemen here. We should never have a shortage of tight ends here, um, you know. And then, but shoot, if you get a chance to find a corner that can play, that can get into school here, and or you know, a big time playmaker of some kind, then you got to take your shot. And so, we will always be aware of those guys, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor at BYU ever as it is at some places.
13: So what did Conover do during this past season when he was on the team but didn't play that would allow him to compete for the starting job this season? Um I'm glad you
2: asked that. So
13: he
14: was not supposed to join us until January, like last month. Right. Um, but right. due to the pandemic, he came off from his mission early, and we had, a, we had a spot for him on the roster in fall camp. And so he joined us in the fall. He actually got there late. I mean, he, I think he got there a week into school had already started, or maybe I uh, can't even remember. It was late though, and um, so took a couple minutes a couple weeks getting acclimated, and then he he just went over and started playing scout team quarterback. And he was uh, playing against our defense every day, and trying he and trying to you know run the other team's offense. And um, he just embraced the heck out of it. I mean, he he played the role. Every week, he was literally trying to be the other team's guy, that that other team's quarterback, trying to run their offense. And he's a he's a really good leader, and took a lot of pride in it. And running the scout team, and uh, every day, I would, every week, I guess not every day, every week, I would get a comment from one of the defensive coaches about something good that he did over there, or hey, watch clip number twenty-four of team today. This you got to see this throw he made, or stuff like that. It was so it was really cool to see him. Um, but the, the positive was he was able to be in all of our quarterback meetings and he traveled with the team for most of the games. So he learned the whole offense already and knows all you know knows everything that we're doing and so now his starting point right now going into spring ball, he's way ahead of where he would have been had he just joined us in January. So the reason why I brought his name up from the start is he's he's mentally at a point where he should be able to compete. With those veteran guys, and um, had he had he just gotten here in January, I probably wouldn't be quite as uh, eager about saying that. But I, I think he'll—he's a good player, won a lot of games in high school, and I think he'll be able to compete well with his guys and make this thing interesting.
0: Aaron, Rod- uh, Aaron Roderick, join us right here, BYU Offensive Coordinator. Uh, as you look at the schedule this year, you're playing three Pac-12 schools the first three weeks, and a lot of teams will, you know, get ahead on the scouting for that first quarter of the season. But the Pac-12 played so little football, I'm wondering how much you expect that they basically are going to have two new recruiting classes to kind of discover and how much that's an X factor in prepping for them.
14: Yeah, you're right. It's that's a strange deal because we have watched all those games already of those teams, and you know, in, in Arizona's case, it's a whole new staff. So we're watching them just really learning who their players are, and then the defensive scheme. We're watching Michigan film because the defensive coordinator came from Michigan. So we're learning, we're learning the scheme from Michigan film, and we're learning the players from Arizona film. But there's not a lot to go on there. And then, you know, of course, the other Pac-12 teams as well just didn't play that many games. And so you came in and you judge judge what you can from it. And you also, in the back of your mind, you kind of know, like, I think think some of those I don't want to, I can't speak for any Pac-12 teams, but I think some of those teams actually treated it a little bit like like an exhibition season. Like, hey, let's develop players. Let's find out about these guys. And, and be ready for next year. It's kind to get that feel as you watch some of the games. Um, it felt to me like some of the teams in the Pac-12 were subbing more than they normally would sub if the game was if it was a you know a, a game where you're playing for a Pac-12 you know your, your Pac-12 championship or whatever. It felt that way. I can't say that for sure, but it, seemed, it sure seemed like all the teams I watched in the Pac-12 were. Playing a lot of different players and subbing and, and getting a lot of different combinations of players on the field, and um, I, I could be wrong about that, but it, it appeared that way. So um, if there wasn't there. There's, in, there's enough good stuff to, to go by, and we'll, we'll have a good plan for those teams. And most of them will get a game or two on them next year as well. So other than Arizona, you get at least one or two games on these other guys. So yeah.
13: So, I want to ask you about Baylor Romney and Jaron Hall. Uh, first, speak about Hall as far as his health. Is he healthy? And then, uh, listening to you, even though Romney was number two last year, that doesn't automatically mean he's number one this year. Is that accurate?
14: Um, yeah. So, first of all, about Jaron, he is healthy, um, and he's been doing everything with the team, he's running full speed doing all the clean workouts he's throwing with the receivers and tight um and and he's feeling good and that's that's good and he's decided not to play baseball this spring which um you know i I always was very supportive of him playing baseball i mean i I love baseball um but it did take a toll on him it was it's uh I, i think that is underestimated how much how taxing that was on his health and going back and forth and just the workouts with both teams and the practices. And he would, he would literally run from spring practice straight over to baseball. And you're talking about six-hour days, 11-hour days, just of bit football and baseball, not to mention his academics and stuff. So um, I think he's going to benefit this year from focusing on one sport, even though I think in the past baseball made him a better football player. This is a good time for him to get healthy, Uh, and then Baylor, yeah, he was number two last year, and there's no guarantees that that means he's number one, but Baylor's a good player, and I have not forgotten, nobody's forgotten in our building that we've won some big games with him, and that he, you know, it's easy to overlook him because he's just a kind of an unassuming guy, but um, nothing really rattles him, and this, this situation won't rattle him either. He'll, he's a steady guy, and he'll go out there and and play well every day and he's he's um, a really competitive kid and he's an accurate thrower so he does have a great chance to be our QB but um the answer to your question though is no there's no guarantees um just because he was number two last year we're going to let everybody let everybody compete and um but Baylor did you know another overlooked thing was he did play well for us last year in the games he got in some you know a lot of times we were up and stuff but shoot he'd come in and we'd just keep rolling along and so we've got some good players to, to work with it's going to be a really tough, tough job for me.
0: BYU offense coordinator Aaron Roderick joining us uh, always curious if there's someone outside the program who's going to parachute in right away and become an impact guy people may not know his name now but by game two three or four they're absolutely going to know his name and of course in the case of BYU you have so many return missionaries but also any recruits or transfers somebody off the radar who's gonna make an immediate impact.
14: Well, uh Dallin Holker comes home from his mission in a couple months and he had some as, um, played really well. And, and he played well in the big I mean he played well against Wisconsin, he played well against Utah. Just he uh was not a, he, he was not afraid of the moment as a, as a true freshman Showed a lot of blame. We're really excited to get him back. We're pretty deep at tight end, but he's a, he's a really good player. And a, and already so he would be one that would kind of be easy to forget about he's been away for two years. And then uh, there's a kid named Chase Roberts. that's a wide receiver from American Forks that has not played for us yet, so I don't want to put too high expectations on him. Uh, he's coming home shortly. He'll be here, too, in a month or two. Um and you know, he hasn't played at all and I don't know what kind of shape he's going to be in but he was a guy that uh, was recruited by a lot of people at Pac-12 schools and we were at the time when we got him we felt really fortunate like okay this is at the time when we got him the program was a little down and he was a big big gut and so um, yeah, and I, I don't know what his impact will be this season but I know he's he's got a really bright future and a really really high feeling he's a big fast guy that and like I said, was recruited by a lot of people. And so can't wait to see what happens with him in the future.
13: Well, I don't know that I expect the same type of season as last year, this upcoming season, but something is terribly wrong if you don't win at least 10 games.
14: <laughs> hey, man, I've been hearing that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well played. Well, uh, well played, Aaron. <laughs> all yeah. right, Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator. Aaron, we appreciate a few minutes in the offseason. Thanks for joining us, and we're all looking forward to spring ball. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. <laughs> He's been hearing that for a long time, PK. I, was, I think there were multiple layers of comedy there, if you really dig into that.
13: <laughs> uh, yes, I would agree with that 100%. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Might have been a subtle reference to his Utah days.
13: All sorts of uh, background. What was it? Uh, I don't know. Backroom conversations over the years about a lot of different things, a lot of different people, and <laughs> and you've been around as long as we have. You uh, hear stuff. People yeah. tell you stuff, and that it's uh, part of the business. Though I think the good thing about Aaron Roderick is he has a full realization of what this business is about, and uh, of of rolling with it and overcoming things because. You know, you're doing things that, that should be rewarded, but yet they're viewed differently, and it's a stressful business and all this stuff, high reward, high pressure. And I think the good thing about him is he understands all of that.
0: DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Everything you missed in this show coming
1: up next. The Big, show, the Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
3: Have you showed Lisa this story? No. Will you put the headset on her and show her that story? <laughs> okay. Now you be respectful while I'm gone. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hey, hey yeah. fellas. Gordon is back. Hi, Gordon. Yeah, she's not here. I think she's on a walk or something. Now, wait a minute. Did you eat something? <laughs> I grabbed a snack on the- You didn't did not go- <laughs> even go look for it. I saw a couple of M&Ms, so I tucked them in my mouth and then I went to the other side of the house to look for <laughs> You it. did not. You just went to the kitchen <laughs> to grab a snack. <laughs> it's okay. Isn't it? Sure, they're waiting on air for me, but heck, oh, I'm might hungry. As well, yeah, eat some. Oh, no. I got a snack.
1: <laughs> Catch the big show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network
9: donovan right here driving Brown. shoves off stops pops hits boom jazz 101 boston 97 bogdanovich gets an open three out of the timeout i don't know how boston let that happen donovan bursts out of the traffic they're backpedaling donovan's attacking leaves behind for ingles right side three got it Man, that was special. Back up top to Donovan. They switched Tatum to him. Now they bring another defender. He fires the three. He had it! Oh, Donovan Mitchell! Don't do me like that! Wow!
0: All right, time to get you up to speed on everything that happened. Obviously, the big story is the big game last night. The Jazz beat the Celtics. A 74-point second half. Can you win with defense? Well, they certainly stayed in the game with defense when they were only shooting 30% from three in the first half, and they still led 48-47 at the break, even though the Celtics were shooting 50% from beyond the arc. That boded well for the Jazz, and sure enough, all the numbers proved out. The Celtics didn't shoot it as well. The Jazz shot it better. As uh, you were talking about this yesterday, PK, you brought it up. Hey, the game's on TV. What do you think Donovan's going to do? He's pretty good, so we will have a pretty good game. Conley's out, so the pressure is on not to slip up. He'll be focused on that. He clearly was in Indiana with a fast start there. And it's TNT, and he's not going to want to have a bad game, so Shaq can say, I told you so. And sure enough, I don't know which of those three things was most important, but at the end of the night, Donovan had 36 points and a good stat line. And not just the points, but he hit two big threes late in the game to make sure that Boston wasn't going to do anything dramatic at the end and steal a win.
13: Well, I think Mitchell knows what's up, and he knows. He was, I was reading an ESPN story, and he was talking about how Royce O'Neal doesn't get any recognition because mm-hmm. they don't play on television, and he means national TV. I mean, every game, if you buy the package, and obviously locally they're on, we understand all that, but he was talking about it nationally, so he knows full well when they are on national television, and wanting to play well, a little bit of extra motivation, and certainly he did. He had a massive game. He had a superstar game. That's what you want out of superstars. If you're looking at, you know, we can talk about what a superstar is, but look at the box score, look at the game. I don't need to tell you what a superstar is. You just watch that, and that's what he did. He was a superstar. And defensively, I think that the idea of what they're defense is like when they played Denver they hit all those threes I don't necessarily know that the Jazz played bad defense because I think their defensive philosophy starts from inside so you don't want to give teams easy buckets because teams are going to hit at least a decent amount of perimeter shots what you don't want is for them to pile up 30 40 points Uh, Basically at the rim, and so the Jazz do that almost just about every game. And then sometimes the teams get hot, individuals get hot. Denver, they had individuals get hot that normally aren't that good. Jokic, of course, went nuts, and then you had Jalen Brown. Early, he's getting hot. He's looking really, really good. All right, so be it. Can you sustain it? You know, a couple weeks back was against the Knicks, right? Austin Rivers. What do you have, 25 in the first half? And then Zippo, you know, because he's not that good of a player. He was hot. Tip your hat to him. So I think the Jazz defense, the premise is there. We're not going to give you the easy stuff. And then if you should get hot, all right, we'll figure that out. And it'll become obvious. And then we'll make adjustments to try to pressure there so that doesn't happen. And then I I think we saw that. Jalen Brown had a very good game. But what did he have? Uh, He had like 22 Was it after the first quarter or something outrageous? He still finished with 33, but it's not like he was consistent throughout all four quarters of that game.
0: No, it was more that he was hot early and then Tatum got Eh. going late. Uh, But they didn't have enough guys go with him. They only had three guys in double figures, whereas Mitchell and Ingles kind of offset them with big games. But the Jazz had five guys in double figures. Uh, I think underestimating all this, because Mitchell was really good, obviously, and Ingles was really good, 24 points. Five of 11 from three. Joe got to the free throw line a lot. Ten free throws in a game. That's a lot of free throws. And he was 9-10. And so 24 points, six assists. But, you know, earlier this year, they would force lobs into Rudy when it wasn't open. And sometimes then Rudy, you know, for whatever reason, he's gripping and he's fumbling passes. He ought to catch. And we see these 18 and 20 turnover games. And it's just way too many. And you look at what they've done lately. They had another game here. And they've had several games in this ballpark. They only had 10 turnovers in this game. And it seemed to me that every time they went to Gobert, it was a really good read. And he was really open. And he finished almost every one of them. Uh, He ended up 8 of 9 shooting. 18 points. 12 boards. He made 2 of his 3 free throws. You know, if Rudy should 67% at the line, I mean, you want more than that. You wish he'd be a 75 percenter, But at 67%, I think you start scaring off the whole hack-a-shack deal, you know. And that's probably, you can live with that from Rudy. You'll want more, but you can live with it. So I, I just thought, you know, multiple ways to look at this game. Uh, they won a game that Clarkson was okay, but he wasn't, it wasn't like he was hot. 13 points, but 2 of 10 from 3. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll have much better games than that. But he had five assists. Yeah. You know, he moves the ball too. And if there's one thing that's changed since he's gotten there, it's that, uh, you know, some of the passes he throws, really good. And before, I think maybe, you know, hey, get me the ball and I'll get you a shot. Like you told Joe Ingles. Joe told us that story about one of their first conversations. Hey, if the clock's running down in five seconds, you get it to me, I'll get a shot. Uh, but he's way more than that now. And you can see that with the five assists. You can see that just watching the game just makes me feel so warm all the winning all the all the feel good there's nothing negative to say they played one bad game in a month
13: yeah I mean you think about it, wasn't this team five and four
0: Oh, they were four, 20 and I, five I think they were four and four they were four and four okay but weren't after, they five and four <laughs> okay they were but <laughs> to your point they were four and four but yes you're right they were also six and four pk i don't know if you heard <laughs> and you know at seven and four i had real? a lot of questions at seven and four and eight and four <laughs> at nine and four i started to get on board there
13: was no need to top me
0: it was funny. so it was funny and here
13: they are where they are which is just super impressive
0: Best record in the NBA, winners of 80% of their games. In an 82-game season, that'd be a 66-win team. They've tied the franchise best start ever. They were 20-5 the first time they went to the NBA Finals in the 96-97 season. So, yes, there are many superlatives to hurl out there. And then uh, it's what uh, Tim LaCombe said when he came on. You know, do the words match the actions? And I can remember the famous uh, Dr. Jack Ramsey, who won an NBA title as a coach at Portland and then was a uh, was a longtime coach and a longtime broadcaster for ESPN. And when the Jazz were the height of the powers, he said, you know, Oster says the right things. I think, you know, he's, he's really in the right place. But the words and the actions don't always match. You know, massive understatement. Funny. And it, for whatever reason, that thing always stayed with me. And Tim brought that up this morning. He says, I, I listen to what Quinn Snyder says in his pregame availability and his postgame. And I listen to what the players say in their postgame. And he says, the words are really matching what I'm seeing on the court. And so when guys seem to have their head in the right place and they got a lot of talent and all this comes together, I guess, I guess that's how you win 16 out of 17 and how you end up with the NBA's best record. Voila! Wa-freaking-la. And then that yeah, brings up the question... That brings up the question, okay, yeah? so they have, they have okay. beat all these teams that you can rank them, you know, power, power rankings, and they're 8th or they're 13th or they're 16th or they're 10th or whatever. But against uh-huh. teams two, three, four, how are they going to do? And we're going to see Philly, and we're going to see the Lakers and Clippers here coming up in that stretch. And actually tonight, both the Lakers and Clippers are playing. Uh, the ESPN has a doubleheader, but they don't have either one of these games. The Clippers are in Minnesota, and you would think that they would – thrash the Timberwolves. Without
13: Paul George, he's missing the next two games. Toe. toe.
0: Yeah, he's got a toe swollen toe. That's probably not ideal. Uh, But still, the Clippers ought to beat the Timberwolves, even without Paul George, I would think. They are 10.5 point favorites. And then the Lakers have the Thunder at home, and they are 11.5 point favorites. Over the Thunder. And this is one of those things that we wondered if it was going to last, you know, where you play a team twice in three days, because the Lakers just beat the Thunder in overtime, 119, 112. So the Thunder camped out in LA getting ready to play them again. Huh? Dennis Lindsay was talking about this after the bubble. One thing that a lot of the players, a lot of feedback they got from the players was Man, not flying, I feel totally different. You know, you can play a lot of games and you play a lot of intense games. You play big minutes. If you just take the airplane trips out of the mix, it really does change stuff. And you were bringing this up because you brought this, you've brought this up multiple times, but you just brought it up in the last week that in your days as a beat writer and, you know, getting on a plane, in Albuquerque, you know, going to Albuquerque, covering a game and getting on a plane, going up to Colorado Springs, covering a game or whatever the the trips were, you know, it'd wear you out. And when you went to San Diego, but they didn't want to fly you to Hawaii for basketball because the time difference and all that and the deadlines with the paper, how awesome it was to sit in San Diego and cover two games. Well, all you really did, well, okay, you were in San Diego. So there's that. But you eliminated one plane flight. And what a difference that made. You know, how much better do you feel? Plus then you're in, you know, you got downtime in some awesome city. So... Go ride a bike on the beach. Look forward to that. Yeah, that was
13: like winter break for me every year. Yeah,
0: but it was also it was taking one plane trip out. You know, it's the riding equivalent. I mean, you're not running up and down the court, but you could still feel it. You know, take one plane trip out.
13: Yeah, I think it's smart. Anything you can do to maximize the product that you could put out on the floor is best for the players and it's best for the consumers.
0: Well, yeah, because we all want to see better quality of ball, right? We all want to see better shooting. Nobody yep. wants to watch a bunch of three-pointers that are short and flat because guys are gassed flying around the country, you know? Yeah. Let's, let's watch them knock those down. All right, we spent most of the time talking about the Jazz. That has been the big topic of the day. We did just have Aaron Roderick on, BYU offensive coordinator. Uh, takeaway from that, the quarterback battle, is that your takeaway? Because that is your favorite part about spring ball.
13: How wide the freak open and let's see what these guys can do. And I'm very, very intrigued on that to see who that guy's going to be. And uh, Conover's got all sorts of pub recruited by tons of folks from Chandler High. It's a literally a national power. I couldn't even list all the guys who've played in the NFL out of Chandler High School. I'd have to get a uh, literally get a roster. And so he's really good. And then you've got a couple of the guys that we've seen, and they love Jaron Hall's capability. Romney's solid. Romney's doesn't look like he's going to hurt you. You know, he looks like, at minimum, he can help you win. Maybe he can be the deciding factor in winning if he has an opportunity. I'm not sure. So absolutely intrigued about what BYU does at quarterback. It's BYU quarterback. We're always intrigued.
0: Absolutely, and it seems uh, like there are a lot of guys who their storyline could end up with them in the starting job. So, what do you think? Three way battle at minimum. See if someone else throws themselves into the mix.
13: Uh, certainly, at the start, you know they got they got a little bit of time on their side, but they've got to use spring ball as an evaluation, to at least pare down. Kyle Whittingham talks about this all the time. You can start out with three. Normally you don't have four, but you can start out with three, and then uh, ten days into it, you got to start making some decisions. And so I suspect that they'll do that. And then, of course, they've also got the training camp that will begin in August that they can use. But I don't think that they'll make a decision by the end of spring and say, Player X is our definite number one. I think they'll let it linger. And Plus, it Dangle the carrot out there as far as summer workouts
0: in front of those guys. Alright, DJ and PK, we'll take a break when we come back. Your feedback. Next, stay
1: with us.
5: And that's all over, almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. Uh-huh.
1: This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. If
15: we have the best record in the NBA, and we have one player who is statistically more impactful than any other player on our roster, why isn't he talked about as an MVP? We go to the MVP ladder. Number one is LeBron. Fair. Fair. Number two is Joel Embiid. Number three is Nikola Jokic. Number four is Kevin Durant. I guess. He's been great. Number five is Kawhi Leonard. Okay, but this is where the bullcrap starts. Six is young. 7 is Paul George 8 is Luca. 9 is Steph 10 is Dame 11 is Jason Tatum Other 5 more Bradley Beal Donovan Mitchell Demata Sabonis Kyrie Irving Jalen Brunson. Watch the beep and game We're going to have the best record in the NBA We're just not going to mention Rudy He's just not going to make the list Like seriously
1: Hanson Scotting Weekdays from 10 to 2 On 97.5 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network
0: DJ PK brought to you by Minky Couture. The best blanket ever is also the best Valentine's gift. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blanket with code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Leighton, Draper, Orm, Sugar Sugarhouse, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. All right, feedback today. Another Jazz game, another win. 20 and 5 star ties the best market franchise history. And what more can you say? Cam says, mm, four or five seed. Which Josh replies, you're a funny guy. Four or five seed. Maybe watch a game or two. PK, neither one of us are big gamblers, but that'd be tempting. If someone offered you the Jazz as a four or five seed, uh, bet the no and bet the ranch. They're not going to be the four or five seed. Look at how this thing's trending. Look at the cushion they've built up over that. The question is: Are they going to be a one, two, or three seed, and who are they going to who are they going to match up with in the first couple rounds?
13: Yeah, plus I don't know that the teams that are fighting for that four and five seed have the consistency to go ahead and grab it. I think that particular seed might be something that is a battle all season. There is some good teams there but I wouldn't qualify them as great teams and consistency is the hallmark of greatness. And I'm not sure they have that. They have their moments where they can be very, very good and be very dangerous, and I don't scoff at them or overlook them by any stretch. So even if the Jazz slipped a little, I would suspect that those teams fighting for that seed would also be, by their nature, not being able to solidify the fourth seed. I could be wrong on that. You're not. But that's the way I've seen it now.
0: (laughs) You're not wrong. There's two. It reminds me, actually, a lot of how it looked last year. It's different teams on those slots, but as far as how these teams are spaced in the standings, it's very similar. There's two games from fourth to eighth place. Suns, Blazers, Spurs, Nuggets, and Warriors all jumbled up. And there's only uh, four games from fourth place to 14th place. The Mavericks, uh, I'm still surprised they're that low. And if they went on a win streak here, I haven't looked at their schedule to see if you know they avoid some of the top teams in the league who maybe overmatch them. Why couldn't they get it together and go on a win streak and vault themselves into the middle of that? So, yeah, it's a, it's a jumbled mess there. Uh, but the Jazz are now five games clear of the Suns. So, you know, there, there's a bigger gap between 1 and 4 than there is between 4 and 14.
13: Well, the Mavericks now have karma against them since they won't play the national anthem.
0: Mark Cuban confirming that the anthem, which uh, there was no announcement, it's just over several home games. People were like, "Wait a minute, was there an anthem?" I walked in late; I didn't even notice. Was there? And there aren't that many They've people there. Thirteen in the first games place. there, none of them yeah. had the national anthem. So somebody noticed the pattern, and then he confirmed it to ESPN, and then declined to make further comment. So.
13: Oh, I got comments. I'll be making further comments. <laughs> it's
0: it's Texas. I bet they're getting a lot of comments. I suspect our
13: favorite columnist for the Watchdog. He loves that type of stuff.
0: Ah, he's in Houston. That won't stop him from writing about Dallas. I bet Houston's got plenty to say about Dallas, just the way LA and San Francisco have plenty to say about each other.
13: No, I mean our columnist who works for the Watchdog now.
0: Oh, oh, oh! I thought you were talking uh, Brian T. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, it could well be. Yeah. I mean, this will be a national story. talking about Vito Corleone,
13: the Godfather.
0: No, 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 no. No, 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 All
13: he right. Loves uh, that stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. More feedback coming in today. Uh got, uh just reset as we get more here. Um, The Jazz fans saying Jordan Clarkson. Larry says Jordan Clarkson should be the sixth man of the year. I would think he's got a very good shot at getting that, don't you? Who else are you going to put in the competition with him? Anybody?
13: Well, hey. now that they lo- they move ball into the starting lineup in Charlotte, I mm-hmm. mean, I thought that that would have been a, com- a competitor because of the fact that he was coming off the bench. But I think he's now starting, so that's and it's, it's going to be enough games that he starts that that's going to eliminate his sixth man. But... You know, I just don't get into that stuff. Mm. I mean, winning is where it's at, man. What What are you doing as far as winning? All that other stuff. If the Jazz win the title and <laughs> we'll Luke care Williams about or else. somebody else, I mean, yeah. What difference is that Wouldn't you trade
0: make? all of that, anything else to get that? <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, when you get the title, then you tend to get some of the other stuff. I mean, winning gets rewarded with these other awards. Um Josh tweets at us. Uh, what else is there to say? Well, I'm not yet satisfied. Ask me again when they're 31 and 5. 11 and 1 in the next 12. I'd probably bet against that. Of course, I also would have bet against 16 out of 17. And well, why would lost. you be satisfied then? <laughs> he'll, he'll double down on 41 and 6, right? Jeff yeah. says, sarcasm. We can continue to nitpick about why they aren't winning every game by 20. Hashtag sarcasm. I think Jeff just wants to enjoy the good times.
13: And yeah, enjoy them. You should be enjoying them now. That's for sure. You know, I think the best individual award in the NBA is Finals MVP.
0: Ah, because if you have the Finals MVP, then there's about a ninety-nine point nine percent chance that you won it. And, and I think that's maybe that's what there's an outlier the s- I think somewhere, but
13: I think that's why these guys are playing. I mean, they're playing to get money. We understand that. But uh, after that, and they all got their money, it's about winning, and that's what they're. That's what they're about. That's what matters. And that's what you want them to be about. You don't worry about these individual things. Be finals MVP, because then you're holding the trophy, and that's what counts the most.
0: All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Scotty and Hands are next. We'll see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.